Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Horror Channel and our Hellraiser Retrospective Podcast, where every Friday we'll be covering a new installment in the classic horror franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. Go to WeirdGeeks.com to check out our other podcast series, social medias, Twitch streams, contact details, and news on our very own feature films, albums, and shorts that are currently in production for our publisher, We Are Tessellate. Weird Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Geeks! 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 Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Horror Channel. Every single Friday we take you through another chapter in a horror retrospective installment. Right now we're doing the Hellraiser films. I'm your host throughout Al White and joining me is Katie Watson. Hello. Justin Macaroni Maraconda. Hello. <laughs> You've been Jay Gyllenhaal. Oh, the Prince of Persia. <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen the Prince of Persia Santa Time films, oh my God. I just watched that movie last night and his his so tan. It's so tan. It wouldn't even be that bad. I'm lying. It would be terrible. But if he just did the Jason Statham, but he just sort of pivots between like a Hugh Grant and <laughs> Jason Statham. And then I don't know what. I think he's just, you know, the accents for the occasion. He's like, oh, a uh, lady. Well, hello there. And then he's like, oh, it's a dude who wants a brawl. Oh, you want to fight? I'm the person of Persia. That's how it goes. Uh, distractingly bad. Uh, we're talking about Hellraiser Inferno, released in 2000. It gets a 5.6 out of 10 on the IMDb's. Budgeted at $2 million. Wow. <laughs> Half of Bloodline's money. Uh, directed by Scott Derrickson. This is our first... Dir- I mean, everyone's done something, but this is our first director, really, who's done some big stuff after this movie. He went on to do The Exorcism of Emily Rose, uh, yeah. The Day the Earth Stood Still, the Keanu Reeves remake of the classic. Oh. Uh, he did Sinister, Devil's Knot, Deliver Us From Evil, and recently Doctor Strange. Yeah. Crazy. He's wrote most of those, and that's really how he came about. He had also wrote Urban Legends Final Cut. Do you think that was the problem here, that he did not write this? He did write this. Oh. Oh. Uh, with his Awkward. writing partner. Written by Scott Derrickson and Paul Harris Boardman. DP'd by a guy called Nathan Hope, who also did the Fog remake. He did Mimic 2, The Prophecy 3, and, and lots of CSI. Did he write the other ones by himself? No, the they were mostly with Paul Harris Boardman as well. They're like a duo team, mostly. So, okay. so it's we're, the same we're trying to find team. reasoning here. <laughs> yeah. Music by Walter Vzoa, I guess. Yeah, that sounds great. Who did Mimic 2 as well, and Cherry Falls, and a lot of Tales from the Crypt, which has a reason oh, for that. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Starring Craig Shepherd, who as Detective Joseph Thorne, Nicholas Totoro as Detective Tony Nanonan, James Ramar <laughs> as Dr. Paul Gregory, and Doug Bradley returning again as Pinhead. No Spency Boy in this one. Immediately, don't recommend this movie. Yeah. We got a nice little photo of Spency Boy out on our desk today. You appreciate that, now, Justin? Yeah. Just looking at yeah. you. Yeah, he's trapped in the... He's trapped in there. With the lament configuration on the table. <laughs> So, I, I want to. There's some interesting history with this, obviously. This is the first direct to DVD Hellraiser movie. First one not to hit cinemas properly. It's also the first one not to have anybody really other than Pinhead back. Like, there's no Kirsty Cotton anymore. There's no Julia anymore. There's no Frank. We're in a whole new sort of territory with Hellraiser movies that 
I would embrace this moving forward, guys. And I want to explain what happened and how we got to Inferno. And the way I've got mapped out is in an interesting little dialogue of interviews. So I thought I'd do something different. But before we get to that, I want to head into the top 20 films of this year, which is 2000, the millennium. Do you remember what you were doing on year 2000? Yeah. No, that's all I I wanted to know. Yeah. Good. Okay. (laughs) I was um, was in Hawaii. Looking at a perspective rest of my life in a bunker in my basement with my dad with all the canned food that he had stored there. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Y2K was happening. Oh, my dad was full on Y2Ker. Oh, man. We were just like, yeah, whatever. You're in Hawaii. My dad poured a cement basement to our house and filled it with a ton of canned goods. And that was what we were going to live on. Holy shit. The end of the world. You're going to turn a Cloverfield lane it, basically. Yeah, because I would have been there against my will. So, yes, it would have been (laughs) 10 Cloverfield lane. Oh. I was not going to a warehouse party in Cambridge with my friend Dan and his new girlfriend and instead went home with my girlfriend and did nothing. And then why? Did nothing. nothing. Yeah, did nothing. Winkity <laughs> wink wink. Wink wink. No, no. Did she go, hey, are you the Prince of Persia? <laughs> you go, oh, you know it. <laughs> All right, Katie. All right. What are so we are movies? looking at the top 20 movies for 2000. Number 20, Miss Congeniality. Oh. Fantastic film. Sure. Holds up. I hate Sandra Bullock. Uh, 19 was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, 18's The Patriot. Hey, uh, Keith Ledger, Mel, Mel Gippie said. Mel yeah, Gippie. Mel Gippie. It was yeah. bad. Uh, 17, I have not heard this name in forever. Vertical Limit. Whoa. Oh. Do you remember this film? Oh, vaguely. Oh, man. Was it, it was the cliffhanging one, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like after, well, way off the cliffhanger. No, was, no, no, I don't mean it was actually cliffhanger. Yeah, Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. When he was a thing. I Weirdly, yeah. he popped up in, um, what was it? Something. Fuck, I watched something. Oh, I was watching Max Payne and I'm watching a bunch of video oh. game movies right now. And he popped up in that and I was like, is that oh, fucking wow. Chris O'Donnell? And yep. Yeah. And he looked bad then and that was like 10 years ago. Oh. Uh, 16 is Chicken Run. Don't get film from the Hardman guys. Did Wallace yeah, and it? I liked it. And more Mel Gibson before he really went off the radar. Yeah. He's the lead chicken. What's That's the Studio crazy. BV? Keep seeing it on there. Studio BV? Buena Vista? Is it? No. Because you have Warner Brothers, Universal. Uh, I know I've seen that yeah, before. Maybe, maybe. Blockbuster Video? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. No. They are really putting out a lot of humdingers back in those days. Uh, studio BV is a hair studio uh, near where we live, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, Buena Vista. Buena yeah. Vista. Oh, I didn't even know that was like... Yeah. 15 is Gone in 60 Seconds. Whoa, nice. Just, so people into Fast and Furious nowadays, kids may not remember or may not uh, know. Uh, so Hollywood much used better. to like putting out two films the same year that were identical, basically, like Volcano and Dante's Peak, and they did this, um, and a whole bunch of others. And Gone in 60 Seconds, I believe it was actually slightly critically more acclaimed than Fast, The Fast and the Furious, yeah. the year it yeah. came out. I also like that movie better really? than... I do too. Really? Yeah. I don't at all. I do. Uh, you like Fast and Furious better than Gone in 60 Seconds? Without a doubt, yeah. You're incorrect, sir. It's because it's about family. <laughs> you know, it's about family. Oh, crew, you guys stick together. You guys stick together. It might also be because I really hate Nicolas Cage, but I really hate Michelle Rodriguez, so it kind of... Balances it all yeah. out. Wow. Cars. 14, Unbreakable. Yeah! Yeah! Maybe my favorite, not comic book movie, but comic book movie of all time. Cool. Unbreakable Sprint, back when Shamalama Ding Dong was a fantastic Shamalama Ding Dong. Uh, 
13, Aaron Brockovich recently mm. made Elle White watch this film. Yeah, well, it was on it in since the background of your life. And I still feel the same, which is meh. <laughs> what about this next film? 12 is Charlie's Angels. Oh, oh this is McG. Yeah, but you got Crispin Glover in it, right? Is this one with Crispin Glover? I don't Where's remember. Was he the villain in the first one? I don't oh, know. He's a good knows. villain. Uh, 11, possibly going to cross over with Justin's list is Scary Movie. Yeah. Scary movie. Blah. Ten, which should cross over because it's fantastic, is what lies beneath. Yeah, that's Such scary. Uh, what lies beneath? Mm. So it's Michelle Pfeiffer into, and Harrison Ford. And Interesting Harrison with Ford. that film is that it was actually made. They were shooting Castaway, and they needed uh, there's like a big spoilers for Castaway, but there's a few there's like a big chunk of uh, time. What do you call it? Like timeless happens, and then you see Tom Hanks uh, looking ultra ultra skinny. And they basically needed him to get into shape, but they wanted to keep all of the crew on board to Tom do Hanks the next isn't chunk in of Castaway. What lies beneath? No, in Castaway. You Why listening you? to what I'm saying? I'm not. I'm not following I this trail. I still, again, they were shooting Castaway, and then there's this big portion of time where he has to lose tons and tons and tons of weight, and it took right. them months and months and months to do that mid-film. They didn't want to do it fake or anything like that, but they have to keep the contracts uh, on for the entire thing. So they literally made, literally made what lies beneath just to keep the crew on contract mm. to then make Castaway. So everybody who's made on board with What Lies Beneath was making Castaway. And they just put that in the middle so he could go and then lose weight and then come back and do the rest of Castaway. Oh, that's, that's why that movie was made. The grandioseness that happened any time I wanted to go on a diet. <laughs> they <laughs> like were like, a we would people. wait for her return. <laughs> I just love, I just want some of my favorite little movie facts. They made another movie, which is awesome. Just to yeah. like keep everybody basically on. Man, can you imagine pulling accounts? out What Lies Beneath and Castaway out of like, we have created these two things at once? Is it the director too? Like yeah, the entire yeah, yeah, whole yeah. cast and crew. Everybody. Well, not cast That's crazy. Cast, yeah. yeah. They made a lot of money. All those crew people they're like, too. Yeah. I've been working for like yeah, they did well. almost a whole year they on did the well. same movie. Go to shoot on an yeah. island. Yeah. Fun yeah, times. And that just means like they were all in sync with each other to be like, we know how to do this. We know how each other works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, bust it out. Yeah. So they're both fantastic films. I recommend both. Uh, number nine is X-Men. Ooh. Original. Things are about to change with the comic book movies. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do, do. Oh, I wish. <laughs> do, 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 do. God, I love that theme. Yeah. Uh, eight, The Perfect Storm. Was it perfect though? That was pretty No. The- it was a decent story. And it was a you know sad true story. Seven, meet the parents. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Six, it's, it's a how the comedy Grinch stole Christmas. Oh, I remember uh, when this came out. I don't, like this don't so much you either. scowl? I like it a lot more than I like Elf. Though. Jeez. <laughs> Five was Dinosaur. Wow, I remember when this came out. Nobody remembers Nobody, the Dinosaur. <laughs> I remember it coming out and I was excited, but I've still never seen Which it. Which one is Dinosaur? It's the Disney exactly. one where they're first like all CGI just to do with the dinosaurs is it talking in it even i don't know it must be i thought there was talking but there's definitely not music and stuff like that like it's it's before they did the good dinosaur they did dinosaur <laughs> okay and it was meant to be hyper real it was meant to be just like you're there with the dinosaurs hanging out whoa and it was a huge deal with the trailers it was a big reveal and then it bombed i think well relatively for disney uh for what women want good old gibson God, back gibson's in- really fucking all over this top 20 yeah. And then number three to compare with number 10 was Castaway. Yeah. So they got three and 10 in the top 20. Nice. That's pretty amazing uh, for making Wilson, those two films Wilson at really the same time. Carried that movie. Wilson! 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 
Yeah, we watched Cosplay again last year, didn't we? I think I think it was fantastic. It's so good. That, that totally. tooth, that tooth moment. Ooh. Ooh. I Just visualize that tooth thing. moment probably more than any yeah. other film thing in oh. my life. Like anytime any of my teeth are hurting or whatever. You would do that. You're like, I just am like, oh, I just want to get something sharp and well, jab you know skinned. He could have died from just like oh, trying yeah, to get absolutely. that tooth out. Just yeah. like, oh, oh yeah. you're done now. Absolutely. Well, people die from getting their teeth pulled in a dentist's office. How do people die? People die from getting their wisdom teeth pulled every year. Man, I got still. My, I mean. They pulled my wisdom teeth. Because of infection and everything oh, else. okay. Like, I thought it was just like when skin. they pulled it, they no, pulled it. No, 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 not in the action thereof, but oh, just in the aftermath. Yeah, because yeah. the drip and all that. Yeah, because it's not that simple. It's like, that connects to other things, guys. All right. <laughs> to his gladiator. scaring all <laughs> Sorry. It's, gladiator was awesome. Joaquin Phoenix. I love gladiator. Oh, my gosh. We should watch that. Just oh, for fun. I like Gladiator. Joaquin Phoenix. Wait, did you say you don't like? No, I like it. I didn't love it. Like, it was such a big Oscar what? winner that year. Because you hate it, Russell Crowe. No, I love... Here's the thing. In 2000, Russell, Russell Crowe Crow did two films. He did Gladiator and he did The Insider. And I was like, The Insider is still one of my favorite films ever made. And in The Insider, he was like... Uh, how old is he? Like 30 at that point or whatever? Mm, I don't know. And he portrayed... He was hot, whatever he was. No, but in The Insider, he played like this portly, still overweight... Still hot, Russell. 50-year-old... <laughs> like businessman or whatever and he was completely transformative and believable and incredible in it and then in gladiator he just played a big action hero and he won the, the oscar music in this was and he won so the oscar good. for acting in gladiator and yeah like, because inside of that year there was like family and it was love really intense now i'm happy to loyalty. say with everyone who moans about the oscars nowadays i'm happy to say if that happened now he would be nominated for the insider for a transformative role Right. Yeah, rather than a big, hey, I'm a fucking superhero kind of gladiator role, which makes me happy mm. with where the Oscars are. I love the gladiator. Yeah. Joaquin oh, no, Fe- I like Joaquin Phoenix was such a good villain in that. He was really good. That's why I kept saying he should be the Joker. I know. And now he should. Now he's in the running. Might be. Yeah. I hope he is. Good old Joaquin. Number one. Dun, 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 dun. Ace Ventura two. two. Ace Ventura 2. How dare you? That was a perfect Mission Impossible song. That was John Woo, wasn't it? Da-da-da. Wait, that, that was number one? That beat Da-da-da. out Gladiator? And yeah. yeah. This was the time of like action. action. dude. Yeah, we but that's action. like, there's no James Bond anymore. But a lot of people yeah. hate the John Woo one. That's what? Separate. A lot of people hate that John Woo one. Obviously I, I used to like well, it a lot. Clearly. Uh, 546.4 million worldwide, baby. Not making Marvel money, but all right. Well, no, but well, it's making well, more than that, that's everything in different else. times. In a different time. So that's probably equivalent to Marvel money. Yep. Sure. So it made Marvel money. Okay. I mean, Marvel money for the 2000s. Yeah. Era. Thank you very much, KD, for taking us through the top You're 20 welcome. movies of 2000. Justin, uh, yes. you might want to add a scary movie to that list because I think it's been left off. But oh, yeah. can you tell us some of the spooky movies? Yeah, uh, Gladiator. <laughs> Aaron <laughs> Miscongeniality. Prince of Persia. Okay. 2000. American Psycho. Great horror movie. Yeah. Psychological. My favorite. Book of Shadows. Colon. Blair Witch 2. Terrible horror movie. Sounds kind of terrible. Blood. Colon. The Last Vampire. Was that 2000? That was the uh, live action version of the anime film which is the anime one's fantastic yeah. the live action one's terrible cherry falls this is the very probably the last of what you'd consider 90 slasher movies but it was in 2000 i know mm. but um it was all right actually it was, it was decent but ginger that's a snap, snap. ginger <laughs> snaps this was the werewolf movie uh which is good actually it was good mm. a little known film called final destination yeah 
we were meant to be sh- we were scheduled to do the final destination series later this year but no. i believe it's just been rescheduled uh because something else has a new film out this year so we're going to be tackling i think we're going to be tackling the predator films instead we're going to do <laughs> predator one two alien uh, one and two and predators and then the new predator movie that's a pterodactyl but we'll get around final destination at some point i like those movies a lot they're good mm. fun hollow man that was the invisible man movie with kevin bacon yeah, which was all sexual perv- pervert. Yeah, oh, just based yeah. on pervert, perverted. Mm. But like, if you're invisible, you would do perverted things. Yeah, probably true. I would. No, nah, I would just totally get a lot of free things. <laughs> you just steal. I would steal. <laughs> like, why? Why you would get caught? Still, doesn't matter if you're invisible. If you're like doing horrible things to other people, mm, people are gonna want to get you. That's true. Yeah. Or true. I would also scam people. And be like, hey man, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna be like, this place is haunted. Blah blah blah, and then. I would pretend to be the ghost and we'd make a ton of money. <laughs> no, for anybody out there, if you are invisible, don't do bad things. Yeah, don't do bad things. But if you are invisible, let's be friends. I've got a great <laughs> business entrepreneurship that we could do. Hinges on invisibility. Yeah. All right. Next one is Leprechaun in the Hood. Oh, there we Jesus. Go. There we go. Very bad. Yeah. I mean, they're all very bad. But oh, Leprechaun boy, in the bad. Hood. Wow. Okay. Uh, pitch, per- pitch Black. <laughs> <laughs> Pitch Black. That's yeah. a, so this is a rise of Vin Diesel. We had uh, Fast and Furious this year. I did, did not like get in the top 20, apparently. And Pitch yeah, Black, yeah. Because it wasn't that good. Um, Pitch Black was awesome. Yeah, I like Pitch Black I a lot. I saw it and I remember being scared. This is a movie I wanted to see. I, don't I actually, like, actually kind of like all those movies, even Chronicles of Riddick and Riddick yeah. itself. I like Chronicles of Riddick. Chronicles of Riddickle. All right. Scream 3. Uh, so we really are at the end of the slasher genre. Yeah. This is it on the way out as post postmodern as you can possibly get. And then another movie called Scary Movie. So, yeah, we're getting into the parodies. Yeah, just because it's, you know. I suppose it took that long for it to come out considering Scream was out like, you know, five yeah, years ago. They wanted to time it, you know, with the new Scream. Right, 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 right. I never really got along board with those films. But. Shriek, if you know what I did last Friday the 13th. <laughs> Much better name than Scary Movie. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah. yeah, also bad. Urban Legends, colon. Final cut. Written by the director of this week's movie, Hellraiser Inferno. It's Scott Derrickson. Wow. And then What Lies Beneath. Yeah. Which we talked about. And, and then Castaway. There's not really good horror movies that year. But yeah, definitely the end of the slasher genre and going into some new stuff. You've got Monsters with Pitch Black. You've got more psychological with American Psycho and What Lies Beneath. Yeah. Getting into a new muddled era, I guess. Yeah. It seems to be like in the middle of a decade, horror kind of settles and then it gets shuffled around again. Yeah. So let's talk about the Hellraiser Inferno and how that fits into this new landscape. Where slasher films are out, psychological let's, horror is a bit more in. Let's do it. Are you ready? Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit of how this ready. movie got made through excerpts of interviews. Now I want to say up front because I think I'm always not a fan of editing interviews because you're taking stuff out of context, and obviously context is everything. However, I don't really think this movie is important enough for us to worry too much of it. It's not like we're talking about politics or anything. Yeah. So I feel. I can context can be fun as well. Yeah, sure. I have taken things from different interviews with the key people of this film, put it into roughly a chronological order as if they have sort of having a conversation with each other almost. Nice. And mixed it with Michael Bay quotes. Mixed it with a little <laughs> oh my gosh. the baster. Sounds amazing. But yeah, just to say, even if it is a paragraph, I may have taken excerpts of them talking about the same question, but from different interviews and put it into so their thoughts are in one paragraph kind of thing. All up front. So Scott Derrickson, the writer, director... He basically, yeah, he had been, he'd written Urban Legends Final Cut. And while he was talking with Dimension about that film, 
they then said, look, everybody's been pitching us Hellraiser now for the last, almost the last film. It was four years before, 1996. So it's been four years since it had a new film out. Everybody had been pitching them the ideas for the films. Nothing had really stuck. So they just said to him, do you guys have a concept for what you would do with the Hellraiser mm-hmm. film? Quote, when a job was first offered to me, I turned it down. Then I thought of a way to do the film that would be personally fulfilling. I was standing in a hotel room in Indianapolis and the idea came to me that a movie could end with a character confronting the two sides of himself, his spirit and his flesh. And I thought, that's great, but the studio would never let me do that. But they did. They let us do our own movie. So if anybody doesn't like it, they can put the blame on Paul Harris Boardman and myself. Gary Tunnicliffe, do you remember him? He's a- I blame him. Do I do blame him as well. I, I blame him. He's the guy who's done a lot of makeup effects ever since the beginning in Hellraiser. Oh. One of the guys. He then quoted in an interview, I can't confirm this, but I have heard that Clive has read the script and really likes it. Clive Barker then in an interview said, I read the script. I don't really like it. I kept away from Hellraiser 4 and 5 because in both cases I tried to be involved and in both cases they were said, no, we can do this better than you. Go away. That wasn't the director, by the way, who was really nice, but from some of the suits at Dimension, who said, why would we want Clive Barker involved in a Hellraiser movie? Hellraiser Inferno is terrible. I really don't like to say this about another's work, but I really hate this movie, and it seems to have violated a lot of the things that I like about Hellraiser. It's an abomination. I want to actively go on record as saying I warn people away from the movie. It's really terrible, it's shockingly bad, and it should never have been made. Amen. Amen. Clive, Clive Barker. To which Scott Derrickson, oh <laughs> my from interviews, then basically replied to him, saying, Clive wasn't happy with what I did, but if he wanted to protect the franchise, then he shouldn't have sold it to Dimension. They owned it. They asked me to reinvent it. So that's what I did. But it seems to me that I made a movie that is too good, or at least too provocative for him to just simply dismiss, as he obviously dismissed Hellraiser Bloodline. Our movie actually upset him. This is, in fact, a very good film. I'd subverted Clive Barker's franchise with a point of view that he does not share, and I think that really pisses him off. I would return the gesture of calling him very nice. Viewers need to remember, though, that Clive Barker has only made one good picture, and perhaps for that reason, he's a little territorial. To which Doug Bradley, (laughs) actor of Pinhead, (laughs) said, and I say to which, there were definitely some responses, but not all. He said, Dimension sent me the screenplay and they clearly wanted my opinion and I had two opinions. One was that I didn't think it was good enough. The second was that I was surprised that I was in it so little. But then, of course, Pinhead was barely in the first film, so it kind of makes sense. What irritates me, though, and I know it upset the fans as well, was that when they did release it, they smothered the video cover with pictures of Pinhead. I worked a grand total of three days on Inferno, but I'd rather do more. They were three very well-paid days and the kind of days that keeps my wife happy. Scott Derrickson having the last word here said the series had become the pinhead show and what i loved about the original was that awesome sense of mystery that surrounded him personally i'm very happy about the lack of pinhead in inferno but if i had to do it over again i'd put a bit more of him in there for the sake of the fans some love it some hate it but no one seems to be neutral about it which i think is great that's a little bit of a evolution of inferno there's some real inferno there well, here's a big thing that we want to chuck out the window. I know there's a few uh, people out there trying to get rid of this mythos about this, but there is a lot. And if you go on IMDb in the trivia, this is the official trivia, and I believe even on the Wikipedia for these pages, um, films, Inferno and the next one and the next one and possibly even the next one are all said to have come from spec scripts. So these are scripts that the studio bought under different titles or with nothing to do with Hellraiser 
put it on a shelf, which happens a lot in Hollywood, sat on them, and then he pulled them out and said, hey, shelf Hellraiser into this film. And the writers aren't saying that that's the case here? Well, that's the thing. It is down almost everywhere as that is what happened. If you read in any interviews with Scott Derrickson and his writing partner, there is no word of that. And I believe them because, as we'll talk about some of the other films, they do come up when they're spec scripts. Uh, they have been pretty open with some of the other films mm-hmm. when they were based on spec scripts. And it normally gets out because it's the internet age and you can find those original scripts that they were originally based on before they shoehorned in another franchise. And it just, honestly, I've seen this film quite a lot and it does make sense. Like it feels like a Scott Derrickson film. Uh, the writing does feel like someone trying to reinvent Hellraiser. Yeah, totally. Rather than, and I can totally see people could watch it and go, oh, you just shoehorned Hellraiser in. But no, I do think it's kind of baked into this one. There are definitely mm. other ones where you might have problems with it but it's just a very different vision on it so just to really not not 100 again like you can't prove that when they said hey do you have anything to pitch for hellraiser he says that he remembers when he came up with the idea maybe he does but you can't be 100 that it wasn't a script they'd already written mm-hmm. um, themselves and they just hadn't shown it to anyone yet or an idea for a script maybe that they already had which is quite possible and then oh that could work with hellraiser but it wasn't something as far as i can tell from my research sitting on a shelf that the studio then said, put Hellraiser into that. Right. It did come from Derrickson and his writing partner, uh, Boardman. So here we have Inferno. Clive Barker, up until this point, definitely his least favorite of the films. And the fans go back and forth with it a lot. There are more arguing, I think, about this film than any other film in the Hellraiser franchise. I can see that. So you ready to get into it, guys? Yes. I have no idea what you two uh, think about this movie. Just to clarify again, neither of you two had seen this one before. No. no. I have seen this one probably the most out of all the Hellraiser films. Um, but we'll get into that as we go through. Interesting. We open on Dimension Films. We have weird red and black images of the Lament configuration, sort of sort of CGI'd. We're definitely in CGI world now. Yeah. Um, all over the top. And then a sort of Rorschach test image that comes up when the title emerges. Much subtler creepy music as well. Yeah. It's like Not, Gregorian chant. I just, yeah. I it's just, more religious. I wrote lame. Yeah, <laughs> cheap and lame. I actually kind of liked the music. In yeah, the, the music went okay. I mean, yeah, we're but a long way cool. away from Christopher Young's yeah. proper theme. This is the first movie I should say right now without Christopher Young's theme at all in in the film. Yeah, it just felt like a cheaper version of the epic virtual epic music. Yeah, and you're definitely right. There's a lot of churchiness to mm-hmm. it. Lots of uh, choir feel. Churchy. I grew up with that Gregorian chant. I can spot it in my life. So we open up on our lead, who is Craig Sheffer. Sorry, actually, I wanted to also put this in there. It's said produced by the Weinsteins, Harvey. and It is. is. All these, well, not all these films. Since they bought it, since the last one, Dimension, yeah, uh, yeah, is owned by Miramax. So, okay, so just some context. So I've stayed away from that, um, but just to quickly clarify that stuff, not that it really matters because I'm sure stuff will come out about Bob at some point as well. (laughs) Right now, I know they're getting sued and who knows, if you listen to the future, then you know more than we do. Um, But this Uh. is Bob Weinstein, not Harvey Weinstein. Bob is a huge fan of horror films. Yeah. And he loves this shit so, so much. (laughs) And I mean that, he loves shit horror films. So really, Dimension was basically invented so Bob Weinstein could fund weird little horror films that he wanted to fund. That's kind of cool. So this is Craig Sheffer playing Detective Joseph Thorne. We're immediately opening on his face, looking almost into car- camera. He was in some kind of wonderful, that John Hughes movie. He was in Demolition Man. He's had little parts in a lot, but he's mostly known for a Clive Barker's a directed, a Clive Barker directed movie called Nightbreed. Nightbreed. Um, which in the comics actually crosses over into the Hellraiser universe. And mm. 
there's a whole thing there. So he is, uh, I guess, this weird token thing for the fans here of Clive Barker. He's certainly maybe the only token thing here for fans of Clive Barker, uh, but an interesting choice nonetheless. I just immediately uh, wanted to punch him in the face. Wait, which person? The lead. The lead. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the opening, I just wrote, he's a chess bad boy? Oh yeah, he well, plays yeah. chess. So he's well, playing he likes chess. to do puzzles and he's figure playing things chess out while on the phone with a basketball game in the background. <laughs> like yeah. such a weird setup. Yeah, and his very first line is, "Yeah, what the fuck do you care?" Down the phone, to which we learn later is his partner ringing up to go, "Hey, how did the game go?" And his right. partner bailed on the game. Right. And I'm like, okay, so your first look at this character is his face looking just scrunnled and angry. And then his first line is, yeah, what the fuck do you care to someone who's like... On the phone. And it's like, wow, you really want us to hate this guy. So the game that's happening behind them is post his game that he's supposedly played. Yeah, he's played basketball. Another game's now happening in the background. And now he's just playing chess next to basketball court with a man who we know... So this is what they're setting him up as is he's super smart. Because he's playing chess, winning easily, on the phone at the same time. Just done a physical exhaustive sport, and the guy he's playing chess with not only has beard and the glasses, but is called Professor. Right. So uh, does the professor just show up <coughs> after his basketball games with a chessboard and like ready to play him? I think so. so. Let's play in the sports arena. I think so. I heard you were here. <laughs> I'm here to challenge you for a uh, money. Or does he just well. get challenged at regular intervals throughout his day as by people random people? Yeah. What's weird about this is every time I've watched this film before. His character certainly annoyed me straight away from the beginning, but the yeah. setup of this never really bothered me. This is the first time I'm like, well, hang on, why are they playing chess on the basketball so court? So weird. Also, I think, I don't know, it's, I didn't want to rewind it because I was like, well, f- I don't want to relive that moment. <laughs> when they're moving the pieces, I'm pretty sure he moves the king and then the king gets eaten and then they're just like continuous, continuously playing. I'm like, yeah. wait, I was what? watching the pieces to see if they were moving them in the proper manner, like no, I'm the sure knights were. and stuff. And it was, it was just all over the place. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, you just moved the king. Okay. You and just there's ate. one point that he like holds up the guy's pawn, like, nah, 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 like got this. Like, and I was like, it's <laughs> a pawn. Calm down. Yeah, Cool. You got a pawn. Well, what's worse is not only does he do like bad dialogue, annoying face, and then he wins, but he's so smug about winning. Oh, yeah. He's just like, such a smug money. Prick. Yeah. Like, you're a piece he of shit. He kisses the money and it's everything. It's like 20 bucks or I something. Know. I was like, <laughs> like, dude. Thanks down. for the $2 bill, professor. <laughs> Good luck next time. Well, this is, okay, so not to preach on too much about the first, like, few fleeting seconds, but this is definitely feet in the sand. They're trying to make you not like this guy. Right. Which, for your lead protagonist, is a very dangerous thing to do. And... I'm not going to give away any of my hand, but I, when I hate noir detective films, I hate VO noir detective films even more. And I hate not liking my protagonist. It's something I always preach on about. It's like, I need to feel empathy for my protagonist. And there are lots of films I have friends of mine who love. And I'm just like, I can't like that because I don't like well, the person. You have lead to person. balance it. You can't just be like, he's a shitty person all around. Yeah. Like yeah. you have to have some redeeming, redeeming qualities. Yeah. Which we're going to get to the ones that are going to try and sell us on later, but not giving us any in the first scene in particular. Wait, there's redeeming tough. qualities in here for him? We'll get to it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but right now, I think the only redeeming, and I'm using inverted commas in the air, quality they're trying to give him is, oh, he's really, really smart. It's like, but that's not... He's smug about it. He's a dick. Don't give a shit. <laughs> he doesn't like do less. anything with it. Yeah. He's just... He's your typical cop. Exactly. Yeah. Back in the locker room, we see he's sniffing coke. Yeah. Think. Oh, I just put like yeah. weird nose out of it. Yeah, it's definitely like, coke. 
Okay. And he has a gun, so we learn he's a cop here. And then his oh, VO I didn't even begins. know he was a cop at first until like... You just think he's was, got a gun? Yeah, I was like, I wrote down, sniffing device? Gun. <laughs> what? Who is this cat? Yeah, yeah his VO begins, uh, which is telling us basically that even as a kid, he likes solving puzzles. And then we get this terrible line, which is what I never could have imagined, is that one day my own life would have become the greatest puzzle of all. Yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> I wrote down budget question mark. <laughs> Two million dollars. So look, come on, half of what Bloodline had. There are elements of this film that look terrible. There are elements of this film that look a lot better than Bloodline. I think visually, in terms of production and lighting and all of that stuff. But. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't care. Still, there's because this is the thing. I will say, like Scott Derrickson, it's not all here yet, but you can tell he has a visual flair that I think a lot of the directors doing these films doesn't have, which is a reason why he did go on with bigger budgets to do much bigger, more visually impressive things, because he has something there as a director. Yeah. Um, as a writer, I'm not feeling it yet. But yes, so then we're at a hugely opulent kind of house. Are we in LA? I was really confused with this. I felt like we were... I could not tell. Okay. I don't think it's meant to matter. Um, and he's with a detective that he's worked with Willem for eight months, who's called Tony... This is uh, Tony Nanonen, <laughs> the great name, played by Nicholas Totoro, who people will know from a lot of NYPD Blue. He's in The Longest Yard. He's in World Trade Center. He's in thousands of little roles and it's stuff. The, the voice of, dang it, in Justice League, the dead guy. Oh, yeah. He does quite a few video games. Yeah, yeah. Quite a few of these people do quite a few video games. He's just one of those faces that I feel everybody knows, but mm-hmm. you want to know where you know him from. Well, That's he looks thing. like he did stand-up or something. Like, he always, he just has this, like, very affable... <laughs> nature to him uh, but he's kind of the opposite of a lead character because mm-hmm. he's immediately likable um and clearly a good guy so they got this weird sort of balancing act and he's asking the detective about the um, he's giving him word games basically is that your, your name the 10 letter word what does that mean <laughs> i got this right away i was like it's not that smart <laughs> yeah i, I didn't get that like thinking for a second ago i didn't even know what was even being exchanged i just heard him go 10 letter word that's what you are. Well, <laughs> what, he solved one, and then I can't well, remember. Yeah, as he oh, comes in, and he clearly, so it was like a thing they were playing. Yeah, Tony comes in, and he's clearly always throwing words at him because he says like, yeah. "I need like a was it seven letter word for the slaughterhouse or something like that." And oh, abattoir. and he says abattoir. Yeah. yeah. So oh, then he says, "What's a ten letter word for your name?" And he's like, yeah. well, "My name's cool. I have many. My letters name's only seven letters." Um. Oh, what was this asshole talking? You would have been perfect for this guy to be his partner, Justin. So inside this huge opulent house, we find a body. It's been ripped to pieces, skinned with holes in the flesh. There are candles everywhere. And the victim's someone that it turns out to be someone that Thorne went to high school with called John Cho. Is that it? John Cho? Thanks. So. Yeah. And then, this, so then yeah, Tony's like, oh, hey, were you guys friends? He's like, no. Nah. We used to bully him, basically, because he was this nerd. Yeah, he tried to join the basketball team. And then the quote is... Wait, so he's trying to read his handwriting. <laughs> he's trying to read oh. handwriting well, again. We gave him hell. And he smiles. Yep. yep. Yeah, he seems all proud about it. Yeah. And his partner is looking at him like, that's uh, not cool. But this is my problem. So we're coming in. This guy's been on the force we learned later 10 years. Yeah. No one's noticed he's a prick. Yeah, but he he's, says he's like a straight cop. Like, he's like, oh, I play it straight. You know, I get to the answers. Like, he's always acting as if he's high and mighty. Do you just think he gets the job done and so the force doesn't mind? Something like that. No. But he's been partnered with this guy for eight months. I feel yeah. his partner would not be friends with him by this yeah, point. that's no. why he has a new pro- partner. 
I feel like even just for these yeah, annoying word so. games, I'd be like, we're not friends. Yeah. Stop talking to, to me. this guy. You're just like, so he does I'm, is be like, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. A, you're three an weeks idiot. I'd be like, do I, is this really my partner? Cause you're, you're shitting me captain. I'm <laughs> going to, I quit. I quit. I don't even know if I want to be a cop anymore. <laughs> to Addy, because, because we don't like him, dislike him enough. He then finds a book with a vial of drugs in it, which he then takes as well. With but a magic trick. Magic trick. Yeah, with a magic trick. And this looks great. He does it and no one can see because he's stealing it and still smiles to himself. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we find awesome. out later that he only does magic for himself. I know. He doesn't I even do it for his kid. <laughs> Which is like, kind of Like, sad. is there anything that is likable about you? Yeah. No. Shit. Uh, but there's the thing, isn't it? He is, and I only noticed again doing this retrospective this way and watching him in close proximity, he's a Frank. Right. But we now have a Frank as a lead character. And unfortunately, and Frank had some charisma to him. Yeah. You know? yeah. But frankly, this guy sucks. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Uh, look, I'm not going to pretend that Frank, if I had had him for a lead in a film, I would like him. I'd probably still think he's a complete prick. It would be entertaining because he'd be like, yeah. gives you the you look and you're like, holy him. shit, yeah, what is this look? Funny. Goes, yeah. I'm brother Frank. I don't think you meant to. <laughs> Are you going to let me in? <laughs> I don't think you meant to laugh to at Frank, to be honest, but I could laugh at Frank. Whereas this guy is just like, I just, just hate him so much. I, I have a question of, are we supposed to immediately want to see the lead's face flayed open? I think so. Okay. No, but I do, well, that's really what do. I wanted. And we, there are reasons for this that we're going to get to a bit later on in it. I was literally like, Pinhead? But Come get him. Like, uh, Scott Derrickson and his partner are definitely writing this character as irredeemable, and you want to see him go to hell. He also says to his partner... He sees the, he looks at the chains and goes, fishing, Tony? And he goes, <laughs> go what? Yeah. It's like, what? Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, before they leave the scene, they find a candle, which is waxed onto one of the lament configurations um, and a child's finger inside the wax candle. So when they pitched this movie, it really was, we're going to do Hellraiser mixed with, guess which film? Seven. There it is. Stupid heads. <laughs> One of the greatest movies of all time. Wait, what? They're trying to mix this with seven. seven. I know. What? Your face (laughs) says it all, Justin. (laughs) What? Seven's not even out yet. Yeah, it was. So it was 96. Oh, what what number are we on now? We're in 2000. 2000. Oh, a seven. Like the movie seven? No, not part seven. No, 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 the movie seven. David Fincher's seven. Yeah. (laughs) I was like... You look way too confused. Yeah, that's why I was like, wait, Hellraiser 7's not even out yet. What's in the box? What's in the box? Literally, what is in the box? Back at the police station, he then steals $300 from the victim's wallet because, you know, we still don't dislike him enough. Yeah, and it's not obvious that you just cross out 400 and put in 100. Like, Like, you don't even try to, like, knock the little thing off the four to make it into a one. Like, he just crosses it out. He says, nope. Um, and then he's told that they managed to get two prints for the Lament configuration box. Uh, one was from the victim and the other, they're going to basically start running overnight. So he takes the box home, which I don't think you're allowed to do. You're no. definitely not allowed to take they any. They give it back to him and they're like, oh, I'm not going to process this. I'm sleepy. Bye. You take it. He's like, <laughs> I have a life. <laughs> you're like, wow. Uh, so he heads home with the box to sexy jazz music. They're definitely going the noir detective yeah. stuff here. Yeah. Weird sexy jazz music. It's like he walked in and his wife's passed out. It's like sexy music. And he does this weird look <laughs> as he's like walking down the hall. You're like, is he just going to get naked? And then she's going to be like, you're home. And they're going to have a sex <laughs> detective. Yeah. Nope. Instead, he goes to see his daughter 
He's first time we see him genuinely looking affectionate, but then you get this weird sort of creepy shot of him rubbing his face. Yeah, face. yeah. He and kiss that her. weird camera angle, like he it goes even the sideways. Kiss her. He just lays his face on her <laughs> face. What is that weird shit? Which, with better writing, with a better actor, would be a nice tender moment. Right. But here it's just weird. Well, I think they, the camera like change angle like really makes it extra creepy. Yeah, I guess they so. do I like, like a the vertical angle, weird. Yeah, it's like on the side, which it's like repeated throughout this film. Yeah, you can tell somebody was like, "That's cool. Let's keep doing that." And then it's not cool. Don't keep doing it. His wife comes in. You can just see that discontent in his face (laughs) immediately. Even though she's super hot, she's crazy hot and really lovely. She's just like home all day raising their damn kid. Yep, he's being a shitbag, and he goes, "Oh, hey." So he's like, "Are you feeling better?" As if to say, like she was being she was sick or something yeah and that's why you assume at first that she was only home because she was like homesick from work right but yeah and then i was like oh that's why they're not like having sex immediately is because she's She's sick sick. yeah but that's literally the only time that we have any empathy for him is because you're like oh he cares about someone else and then she he goes maybe she gets some rest she was just sleeping i know what he's Maybe. a doctor he knows what's best for her you should probably go back to bed because i'm about to go out i got a job i gotta do i just got a job got a job to his the credit by this point i was expecting him to be just like just vehemently horrible to her and instead he does treat her in a very just passive way he's just like he's not mean to her in that scene with the, but he's not like there's no tendency that he's just like yeah. very passive and just goes to the fridge there's and just no keeps talking chemistry. to her but there's nothing there yeah yeah i just love Which, how they assume in this time that women had no idea what being a detective meant i know like, like they just oh. assume that they're like men just go and come whenever they want and it's like three in the morning and they're yeah. like oh, i gotta go babe and you're like what what job yeah, on what, earth what case is needs you like to you be tell there me specifically a. what you're going to go do right now i gotta go investigate a body of a i'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, see you later so he picks uh, up oh, a oh. young street hooker yep. yeah but he also With- said, they say the word hell in there I don't know who or what, but I wrote down hell. Yeah, is it the catchphrase? Yeah, What's a wife steal. They keep it keeps popping up quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. It picks up a young street hooker in like pink PVC boots. I think they go over the knee. What the fudge? Um, Who's way too hot to be any type of hooker, hooker. no matter a street hooker? Yeah, Yeah. she would be a proper escort. She's like, like you're gonna. This isn't gonna. This cost you more than three hundred dollars. But then, then it's like so they're standing in the hotel room, and we get some more VO pops up here about him saying like it would kill my wife if I left her. So, but she should be keeps me coming back. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) keeps coming back. What the hell's wrong with you? Why are you going back? You're you're clearly not getting anything from that relationship. What? You should just cut the set her free dog again it's just like throw us something you know it's like there's so many tears so here. Like, okay if he steals a little bit of money from the police all right like if he's taking drugs maybe all right like if he's cheating on something maybe all right like there's all these things just like if you gave us something to do with him that legitimized the the sort of pain that he's in or the boredom he's in or something where like to do with his character he's but instead it's like every angle you know what it is is horrible you wouldn't know because you're not as smart as him, life is just so basic. It's so easy to <laughs> you can't understand. Yeah, you can't. He's not realize. stimulated enough. I relate. I was like, I know how that feels to be a genius <laughs> trapped in a world of idiots. 
<laughs> and pink, pink booted pink boots. <laughs> What's the thing with his glasses? Like he likes to take off his glasses yeah. as though if, when he has them on, tinted. he's not recognizable. Yep. Like this Clark like Kent Clark. all of a sudden. <laughs> Like he has them on when he's driving to the like down the street, and I was like, "Is this meant to cover up the fact that this is that it's him?" And oh, he thinks yeah. that his glasses he like make him look that different. Into a room with them on, just to take yeah. them off. <laughs> oh, yeah. there's one scene in particular I remember later on where he takes them off and he's just flourishing them dramatically for the entire scene, and I was like, "Dude, calm down." So like, but he's in this hotel or this motel room with this hooker, and he's looking at her like he's gonna kill her. Oh yeah, like yeah. if sure. I was her, I'd be terrified yeah you do not get in his car and when you're in the room and he's just looking at you not replying and then he's just doing these weird like hand gestures mm-hmm. and stuff like you get the fuck out yeah self-preservation lady i also yeah. like how she goes oh you're a cop i like cops they're yeah. the best i'm like no, what cops you're, arrest you cops arrest you can be arrested yeah you freaking you're really bad at this job this is your day one <laughs> i think it's meant to be like a lot of there's a lot of dirty cops that yeah. they're around. Then we get an and idea so that the city is yeah. full of dead. They, they, she like feels safe around them because she's like, not only do I get paid, but mm-hmm. you know, you got a gun. You have a gun, so and I won't Nothing get arrested. Safe, safe, I won't get arrested. Yeah. yeah. So he uses a magic trick to give it a money, um, and then does the same to show it a drug. So they snort it together. No, 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 no. She goes, "Do you have any gum?" And he <laughs> smiles and he goes up and he goes, "Oh, it's so weird." Stupid hand gesture and bam, a vial of cocaine. Yep. She goes. <gasps> I stole this off a dead body. <laughs> Think it's not because gum. it looked different. She's you were like, asking a for gum. Magic trick. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was going to produce gum. He produced it, the vial. What do you do? <laughs> to which he says, "Whatever you want, as many times as you want it." And then the world turns red, and then it kind of comes out of red into Death them to red. fucking in sort of white. But he's kept his shirt on, as you should. <laughs> So she kept her bra on. She got a bra on as well. Which yeah. you should not. Yeah. <laughs> Bad I, I also wrote down, maybe wife wouldn't feel shitty if you weren't trying to tell her to sleep all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then we're back in the motel. We're looking down. Like he's, she's asleep. The hook is asleep. And he just looks like the devil. Yeah, he's just there with arms behind his head. Just looking. Stop evil. looking at the camera. You're freaking me out. He also likes wearing his shirt. He's like, I'm just going to have it like unbuttoned so that you focus in on my bod. Yeah, well, this ass. is where I noticed he has a belly button ring. Oh, yeah. so creepy. Yeah, I, I didn't notice it until I the very end. Thought I was smashing oh, it in. And then at so the end, bad. I was like, he's got a navel piercing. I didn't oh. imagine this. I don't know if that's a real thing. I think it is. No, it's, it's definitely a real thing. So weird. And they were like, no, it's cool. Leave it in. <laughs> Like, that works cop. for your character who's already a douche so <laughs> it'll be perfect so what do you do when you've had sex with a hooker and you're looking like dissatisfied you go into the bathroom and then have a drink and then stop playing with the configuration I know, it's box. really sad he like doesn't want to wake her up so he just goes and sits on the bathroom, the bathroom floor to drink out of his bottle and his jacket <laughs> But this is the How thing. How pathetic is your life? I do think there's a way like, with his character. He has character. a home with a hot wife and a daughter that he likes. Yep. And I'm like, what? You can do this at home, dude. You can sit and cry in the bathroom with your box. Yeah. You could have yeah. had like weird kinky sex with your wife. Like, yeah, she's got the sniffles, but it'll be all right. You could. And you could have just she drank on your own bathroom vitamin floor. Vitamin D. <laughs> she has a D deficiency, bro. That's why she's sick. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
Um, the box then opens. I like the sounds in this one as it's like rotating and moving and sliding. I think this is the lamest opening of the box that we've had yeah. so far. It's like an obvious circle button on the side. Oh, completely. And he just yeah. pushes it in and then the whole thing just... There's not even the jumping effect that we got in the last one. Yeah, it doesn't flip like a magnet. Where it doesn't like spring away from you. This yeah. one, he literally is just like, what? And he sets it down and it opens itself completely. Yeah, and you put in... I don't know, because for a smart person, he's pretty stupid. <laughs> why? Just, no, I'll, I'll say why after. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the lights in the room go on off and on, and he comes out of the bathroom, and he's in his childhood bedroom. Um, and this is the first time his eyes aren't looking evil. This is the first time where he looks you like, huh? Yes, we get the second of this actor's Am looks, which is slight, mild puzzlement. And he hears a kid that's screaming and calling out for help, which is going to be a reoccurring film. Theme. Also, I feel like that's the audio clip from the last movie where the kid goes, help me. When Pinhead says, oh, says yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that annoying little kid. I'm like, is that the same audio clip? I mean, it's quite possible. They probably the kid was a little audio. rascal. You show some respect. Well, he was a little shit rascal. <laughs> he was a little rascal. Like he wasn't in it much. So then he's like walking around through. He goes off into the corridor of we presume his uh, house. We're not sure. Or his uh, childhood house. And he runs into two Cenobites. Twin Cenobite girls. Yeah. Sweet Cenobites. Uh, who start groping and fondling him. I really like this scene. I really like, like, they put their hands under his chest skin. I thought it was really cool. And yeah. They bring him back that sort of sensuality tied into the dark, which for the last couple of films, it's been more just, no, we just hurt people. Right. Yeah. The sexuality is definitely brought back in here. Yeah. Which makes sense with his character as well. I kind of like the designs on these. And we're about to get a half-body chatterer. Yeah, chomper. I didn't like their tongues. Half. I thought the tongues were yeah. well, the plastic tongues. cheek looking. The CGI. Yeah. I like their the design the of them though. keep in the darkness I kind of like it. I'll no, no, no. I really like their design. I just, the tongues didn't yeah, do I, it. I, I just like tongues. how they slit their hand under his skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and you start and to it. see the element of like plain, pain, pain, plain and pleasure. Pain, pain and, and pleasure mixed and you can pleasure. kind of see him enjoying it which is important yeah yeah not completely and when they took their hands out it was resealed I was like, whoa that's crazy that must have felt like a nice like massage yeah and it still looks pretty good though yeah actually like i was looking at it i was like this latex looks doesn't look obvious yeah right it's um, like that's what it would probably look like if your flesh came yes and someone's massaging so yeah he runs giving in- you plain and pleasure <laughs> <laughs> And the stairs he runs into, yeah, this sort of half-body chatter. It's wider and smoother. My only problem with these Cenobite designs is they're not wet enough. Like, yeah. night, they're very dry. Yeah, and yeah they, they need more uh, lotion. Definitely need more lube. Yeah. I think this, like, the chatter thing looks like something from Toy Story. Like, it looks like one of the, <laughs> yeah, the misfit toys or whatever that yeah. gets, like, kind of reassembled. Right. And it just, it wasn't scary. I was just like, chompy. Somebody chomp you What have you they now? done to you? What have they done? So the house turns to snow. So that's also going to be a recurring theme, which I want to get into yeah. at the end. There is snow falling quite often inside. It's not snow. That's cocaine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he just snorted off the yeah. floor. Just cocaine. I am. I love just snow in horror films, but snow inside in particular. Love it. So these, yeah. these, I'm, I'm liking all these more surreal visuals once you open It really box. lets you know the house is that cold. Yes. <laughs> Um, and then he opens the front door to leave and we get Pinhead straight away standing there looking at him, rips his face open and then he wakes up back in the bathroom next to the box. Yeah, I would have uh, redone what I did to the box. That's if you're a smart <laughs> but guy. But it's closed. Yeah, but just do, it, do again, it again. Because like, you think, oh, maybe that was just like a weird trip. 
I don't know. He's cocaine out. Yeah, that's true. But where do you start? You try it <laughs> again. Like, begins. He's like, oh man, I probably have gate. an STD. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> if you open the box, you gotta close the gate. They gotta read. Yeah, but he doesn't that. know that. He just thinks like he's either tripping or he just like opened it and then had a bad thing and then you're out again. But the question also is like, no, I don't want to say now because then it ruined the movie. So I'll say <laughs> for later. Don't yeah. ruin the movie, Justin. I know. It's a real gem. Uh, the hooker's still asleep in bed, so he heads to the station and he's told that the cuts in J. Cho's body were indeed from hooks and the finger from the kid was probably about seven or eight years old, but he can't tell what sex it is. Uh, just that the kid was probably still alive. His partner's all impressed with the word palindrome, which is the 10 letter word for his partner's name. Um, are we meant, like, this is the problem. Is he meant to seem clever because everyone around him is stupid? Like, but you've only really talked to his partner. His, his boss doesn't dumb. seem stupid. I guess so, yeah. And he was playing a professor earlier. Yeah. yeah. And then Just his seems phone like rings an asshole. And the hooker's yeah. crying and screaming down the phone. And then it all starts going weird and gurgly. I like her voice here. It like, goes all sort of like... Yeah. Which he listens to very calmly. Also, well, no, he's, quietly. Panic. he's panicking. He's he he kind of looks panicked at the beginning. And then his face kind of clears. And he's just staring kind of blankly, listening to her without reaction as she just dies on the phone. I don't get that at all. I felt I like he was just like being frozen in spot kind of thing. Dumb. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you there. But again, though, it's like if I, if I, they give me something to like this character, then I would be all in with this point. Like I really would be if I had something with him to connect with. Right. Instead, it's like, I don't really care if bad things happen to you. Yeah. But I'm liking these moments that are happening. I just don't like the character enough to connect the moments to the story, if you know what I mean. So he goes back to the mo- motel with his specs on and then takes them I off literally immediately. Have, he just sits there and listens to the girl die on the phone and wears his glasses back to the hotel. What a dummy. <laughs> yeah. What a you know, he's got investigating to happen. He's got to put his glasses on. I investigate. These let me see forensic <laughs> things that These the normal... These are my x-ray glasses. That the normal eye would not see. I think they're smart here though because they don't show his they don't show her they just show his face reaction when he walks in and then linger on that again not a great face to watch but I like the intention here yeah and then his partner's outside in the car so he tells her to go check out a bathroom and while his partner's gone he takes a pack of cigarettes and a pen from his partner's glove yeah, box fucking and then goes uh, follows him into the motel tells his partner after his of, partner is like so nice to him I know. in the car well this is really it isn't it it's like they've, been, they've had him do so many shitty things but when, but this is like, there's no loyalty to anybody then, no. not to anything. How does she also get his number? Well, he asks her that. He's like, how'd you get his number? She doesn't reply. When uh, she because calls. she didn't really get his number. And we're definitely going to get into the loop of it when right. we get to the end. Yeah. So he tells his partner he slept with this girl. They did some coke. No, no, he didn't, didn't say this girl. He said, I had sex and coke here last <laughs> We night. did coke together. Yeah, those sex are his words. Coke, I had please. sex and coke. That's, That's what he said. Uh, midnight yeah. diner. Yeah. And his partner literally says, I'm a good cop. I play things straight down the line. <laughs> yeah. Like, For the last six months, I'm a good cop. If you don't get this, I'm a good cop. Yeah, I'm a good cop. That's what I wrote down. Yep. So you have to like get it very clearly stated. We know who we hate. We know who the good guy is. Yeah. So it was so difficult. I was so confused. And, but I'm glad he says that line clarifies it all for me. What's weird though is they then focus. They have this up cl- up close shot of the Holy Bible sitting next to the bed um, as they're mopping up the prints, which is interesting. There'd be a clue in there. Well, yeah, they never come back to it again. And his partner clearly isn't happy about any of it and phones it all in. 
And then we see Thorn kick the cigarettes under the bed and yeah. leave the pen. Also, this is the moment where I just went, why'd you even bring your partner? You could have went there a couple minutes earlier, wiped down, and then just... Because he needed his partner to call it in. And then he wanted to like plan no, no, I know. his stuff. And then he could just been like, hey, where are you? And then you go, oh. Because he could have went there, wiped it down, gone home, true. called his partner in, and then been like, hey, I got a tip. Meet me at this yeah. place. And then gone. Yeah. Or just and left had it. had no prints there or anything. Yeah. Or just left it. Didn't right. even have to call it in or anything. Because just been like, oh. I mean, the only way you can get away with it here is that. Because you do see a few times in him a struggle, like he wants to talk to his partner about stuff, but he wants someone to go, yeah, the stuff you're doing is okay. It's like, all it's right. all right that you do this coke. It's all right that you sleep with hookers. It's all right that you like, like do the millions of yeah. different things that he's doing. He should have just literally, because if he's a smart dude, gone there, wiped down, just no, forget about it. Absolutely. And then let someone call it in and be like, hey, what but the I heck? But I do feel Whoa. they are definitely dealing with it a little bit here, like, and whether this bit was intentional yeah. or not, of him, he's trying to, not atone, but he's trying to get uh, a Help. confession. Like, like, he needs to confess. Maybe that's why the Bible's there. It's technically a confession. Yeah. There a you go. It's definitely technically a confession. Yeah. yeah. But also, what an idiot. <laughs> Just, for a cop, you're a really shitty cop. Like, you're not, not shitty as in, like, you're a horrible person. Like, you're just, you're not good at your job. Yep. Well, then we see the dead body of the, the hooker. Is she impaled or strung up in the shower? I can't really tell. I think but. she was strung up with her own skin. Because oh, I think somebody's, because at one point he was like, yeah, somebody strung her up or something, but I can't. I don't know why I got the impression that it was like with her own back skin. Right. That it was on I think there. it was like her bra and then Is her, it? and like Maybe she I was, was wearing lost straps. Yeah. <laughs> her neck was just slit and then she was strung up with her oh. like bra. It would have been cooler if it would have been her own back skin. Yeah. It would have been cooler if the shower had went through her. Oh. <clears throat> and it was just like dripping blood. Dripping out blood. Of yeah. Thing. Out of a neck. That, that would have yeah. been cool. Yeah. Like in like. No, just not even the big head. It's just like the little piping. Right. So you could have deep throat like the, oh. you know, like the other one. Yeah. Or deep the, throat sounded by back. Yeah. Nice. That's how you would have tied in a little homage, a little right. nod. Not then much homage. Half body chatterer. Yep. There's another finger that's there on the scene, which you think would be to his partner. Like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> These are two people that you know in two fingers straight away off the bat. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Fingerprint guy is it's, I love this scene. He's just sucking a lollipop. And <laughs> He's reading book. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. And then, like, he hasn't got a match yet. And Thorn comes in to talk to him. He's like, have you changed parameters? And he's like, why don't you just let me do my job? Yeah. He's <laughs> just this nerd. He's like, here, we'll make him look like a nerd so everyone knows that he's, like, <laughs> yeah. weak and nerdy. And he's trying well, this to... This is totally a CSI trope. Oh, like, yeah. the NCIS and stuff. That girl, like, all the morgue people are always, like, gothy nerdy like, yeah outcast. gothy nerdy yeah super somehow hot and he's got a mustache yeah when they're like way too in- intelligent to be having that job and so they're like oh we'll have him read something cool and retro like jill's burn mm-hmm. like what at least he's not reading the battles of the 20th century or whatever <laughs> i was expecting him to be reading um dante's inferno or something that's like way too on the nose but yeah they actually did a good job and picked something that was a little bit more removed. Yes. I just love his lollipop. Thorn then tells him to change the parameters and to put in something with hooks for body piercing and they find a match immediately, which no, leads no, 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 him no. to stigmata body piercing. That's not how it happens. That's literally how <laughs> he goes, I need you to go. And then he says, what? And he goes, ask him about the prince. He's like, ask him to do something. And then he goes, oh, let me do a job. And then he intimidates him. He goes, what do you want me to do? 
It's like he just he just fucking told you, man. <laughs> he just told you. Did you in that time spent you sucking a lollipop? You forgot what he asked you. <laughs> then he and then he punches it in. But then he gets really into it. Yeah, and it's not even that hard. I was like, man, you should be fired. Everyone here, <laughs> literally is, anybody can do your job. Yeah. <laughs> Also, this police station sucks, man. <laughs> you live in that town, you're fucked. You're either gonna die or your your crime or whatever's never gonna get solved. No. So it takes into a stigma of body piercing because we're gonna keep those religious tropes yep. moving all the way through. Really badly shot this bit, I have to say. But it's it's weird this film because watching it this time, my memories of this film is that and I remember even at the time was that I liked the direction of it. But I didn't like the character, obviously, because how could you? And going back to it now, I'm like, well, the direction's not that great. Like, it clearly is very, very cheap, and there's some bad, bad stuff here. But there's just something about, like, he does capture a mood that he then builds upon quite well. What are you going to say? Oh, this is also after they get the fingerprints to match. This is the best line. Also, it works perfectly for who he works with later on uh, Doctor Strange. The nerd dude goes, wow, Sherlock fucking Holmes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is true. Yeah. How dare you talk about the American Sherlock Oh, both Sherlock Holmes. Are- I just noticed that. Both Sherlock Holmes are in Avengers. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Super team up. Yep. I- Tattoo artist gets aggravated. And so when he mentions J. Cho and he says the engineer is looking for him. So then he says J. Cho wanted a box and couldn't afford it. So he's all like, how is the box so expensive? Blah, blah, blah. So J. Cho stole it. He says, you can arrest me, beat the shit out of me, but there's no way I'm talking about the engineer. So this is the first time we're hearing the yeah. engineer. Also, why is, he, why is it whenever there's a tattoo artist or a piercer, their shirt's off? Like, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. against like, the code. Like, you have to wear clothes, man. That's unsanitary. No shirts, yeah. no shoes. Yeah, you want to talk f- about unsanitary? I don't know if you guys noticed this, but on the table behind the tattoo guy or the piercer guy, with all of his sterile instruments, is a sandwich. Oh really? On the table oh, yeah. with all the meta, like all his that is stuff. Amazing. Like, that's a good little touch. It was that's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't know if somebody was gonna bring light to it. And I was like, no. That's probably craftier or something. And they're like, oh shit, we gotta shoot. And someone probably yeah, watched so it. Like, he was literally like in the middle of lunch, and they yeah. were like, oh, we're gonna shoot. And he's like, oh shit. Okay. That's <laughs> hilarious. Also, was he wearing gloves when he was piercing that girl's tongue? I don't know. I don't know. There's a picture behind him of somebody getting their tongue pierced with a stiletto heel. So I don't think that yeah. <laughs> it's that is on the top of their list. Uh, so yeah, then we get the first of this mantra where he says, hunt for the engineer and the engineer will hunt you. And then on his way out, he has another vision of the twin Cenobite girls on a tattoo on the guy's back, but yep. it's not really there. Yeah. And then Spooky tattoos. Grabs him, pins him against the wall. Yeah. And he says, <laughs> he's like, are you going to arrest me? Or are you going to fuck me? No. You're going to frisk me or oh, fuck me? Because <laughs> I'm up for either. Yeah. And that's the start of his pinning dudes up against the wall. Have really we ever close. had a horror movie with haunted tattoos? Because that was what this scene made me think. That could be kind of cool. No, no it But it's also, <laughs> they also have, remember that show Misfits? The tattooed guy with the power? No, Misfits. No, I haven't really seen Misfits. The original one? Misfits. The, the British one? Yeah. There's a guy who has like the power uh, to put tattoos on people and then it the power what? to put a tattoo he's that's a, called a tattooist I don't remember no, 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 but it's no, like no but like immediately yeah and it also does something so if he puts a heart and then puts like oh right yeah 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 I don't know he don't puts know Alex and then you'll be like in it love like with Alex it like imbues things yeah. into you yeah, like, or he puts like a bar- 
Like if you put a, a sailboat on you, you're a sailor now. Yeah. Or if you put a knife stabbing you, the knife would be stabbing you. You'd be bleeding. Hipsters would be so excited about that. They'd be like, I'm a real pirate. (laughs) I'm a real pirate. Come on over. Oh, my God. I really do love swallows. (laughs) I am totally I am tribal now, you guys. For real tribal. tribal. I don't know. I'm in cool runnings. Every fucking podcast, man. How do you get it? So Thor needs to find out about the engineer, so he goes to see his man on the streets, who is an ice cream guy. Most fucking disgusting ice cream truck disgusting. and vendor. I would never let I my kids never. go to this guy. That guy's health code is so creepy. out the window. He's selling drugs to kids. He's giving Thorn drugs on the side. He's and, a pedophile. Yeah, and later on we find out that he's a pedophile at some point. But yeah, at this point, I mean, he doesn't, like, yeah. He just does a couple of lines to yeah. do with... They're not as young as you would like. She's too old for you. I wrote down every character is such a cliche. Oh, yeah. Every single one. From his partner to himself to the ice cream guy to the tattoo guy. It's just like, God. Um, Thorne asks who the hooker was he's worked with since this guy knows all the people on the street. He knows all the people. And as soon as he mentions the engineer, they get into a scuffle. He pins him against the wall. (laughs) Same way as as the. And he gets really close. Okay. And you're like, whoa, what? Are they gonna do it right now? (laughs) So, but I like this bit because then we get a. He says the the, his ice cream guy says that he's never met the engineer, but he's heard stories. So he tells him this story about this pimp and a girl that the pimp fell in love with, um, and the engineer who was running the whole thing forbade them to run off with each other. So they ran off with each other, and they live in this little cabin where they're hiding out. And then one day the pimp came home, and the girl's gone. Just gone. <laughs> she was just gone. And then we get a cutscenes, weirdly, for the second half of this story, not for the beginning of the story. You're just shaking your head, Katie. It's because it's like I was with this story until they showed me who the pimp was. And then I was like, oh, great. It's just some greasy, ugly biker dude. And I'm like, I don't care about this person anymore. Yeah. It's just <laughs> I'm like, just let it be person. a story yeah. and let me visualize someone who's nice looking. And instead, yeah. you ruin it. I don't know why this works for me. Like, I like. Uh, I like the ice cream guy when I can't see his face and he's just whispering the story. Yeah. Like, I think he does a good delivery of it. And I like the music here. And I like, I actually like, I agree with you. It's way too cliched how the, the pimp looks, but it's, uh, well, I say cliched. I don't know how many pimps I've really hung out with in my life. I don't, I imagine they don't look like that, actually. No, I was thinking more like a biker. Like, he was like really sure. ugly, greasy, dirty. Yeah. Sure. So I, I like the way it's like this single shot and it's got this weird blurry thing to it. Like, it's kind of it's nice. dreamlike. Yeah, but I don't know. It kind of works for me because it's very hard to know. Yeah, it's not too bad. And then they like follow him in one shot up the stairs to the room. And then he finds, yeah, the engineer's basically brought back the girl just with a head with a note. Uh, this says, is seven. Nod. No, this is very seven sort of style. Yeah. No, the nod with the head. Oh, yeah. oh, maybe. She's beheaded. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And the note just says, you win, Terry, which was the name of the pimp. I kept what I needed and the rest is yours. I like the which story. Which really cool. Yeah. I like it. I think they should have just shown him like pulling the cover back or something. Like, I guess I don't know why. It just really bothered me the character that they chose for the pimp guy. I don't understand it. I understand it. Yeah. Uh, this is what we see. I don't know why, but they start introducing here that Thorne uses Chinese stress balls. Yeah. Yeah. He magically pulls them out. He's a magic he's, man. He's magic. He does magic. He starts playing with it. How did you not know this yet, Justin? No. He's it's, magic. It's, this is so the prequel to Doctor Strange. Yeah. Apparently so. <laughs> Yeah. He's going to become a great doctor one day. I guess so. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm liking this stuff. Like, and I'm liking these scenes. The more we get into the box at the moment, the more I'm kind of liking it. I'm liking the sort of more surreal way. It's the the characters are still yeah cliched and the acting's bad, but I'm liking the intentions, I guess. Um, so someone goes to have a drink with the, with Tony, his partner, and <laughs> Tony's saying how he wants to own up about what they did. And says, you don't cross the lines, otherwise it just gets blurry and blurrier and you cross more lines and blah, blah, blah. So Thorne tells him that he set him up, basically, and explains about the cigarettes and the pen. Um, and that he'd rat Tony in and threatens Tony's two years against Thorne's ten years. I still feel, if I was Tony, you're just like, well, I was on the scene. They know I was on the scene. Yeah. All right, I just dropped my pack of cigarettes. Right. You know, like they're not going to think I killed the fucking, and plus, just look at him. You talk yeah. to Tony, you're like, well, clearly you didn't kill the fucking Yeah, he's like hooker. the bumbling little adorable guy. He's There's like, no yeah, way. Tony would leave his pen and, you know, he's probably smoking, so he kicked the cigarettes under. No one is ever going to believe It's that not like there was a knife with his fingerprints on it. And this is the problem, is like, because, but then he's like, yeah, but I've got 10 years on the force and you've only got two years. So, Who yeah, knows but, you're a fucking prick? Well, plus, and they haven't established anyone in the station who seems to be in with it with Thorn. If he had, oh. like, best pals on the force and it was Thorn and everyone there were bad cops, then sure, then I'd go, okay, well, they're going to bend the rules because they liked right. Thorn. But I don't believe anyone's going to trust Thorn. <laughs> like, not at no. all. Because yeah. then it'd be like, where were you last night, Thorn? Yeah. And it's like, and the, oh, oh, it's oh, my wife. wife. And the wife's and like, she, no, he was on a job. He was on a job. On a blow job. Blow job. <laughs> and then they would ask the people who worked the motel, and be like, hey, did anyone come by? And they're like, yeah. 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 It was that guy, but with glasses on. Yeah. I don't know. Some I dude didn't with glasses. I didn't recognize him. <laughs> Some guy with glasses, tinted glasses, is like, can you do an honest impression? Disappear. <laughs> just draws a, draws a like, giant prick. It would have been amazing if he popped in this line when he's saying, he's like, my 10 years versus your two, two years, I could make you disappear. <laughs> oh. Or we could make this disappear together. My favorite bit about this scene, I don't know if you guys know, this is like one shot of some people playing ping pool or something or doing something in the corner between the jukebox. Oh, the and darts. And there's a huge fucking fish, like enormous fish on the wall. It's, I'd never noticed oh, it Oh, that's before. America, baby. No, but yeah. it's like, it's insane. Yeah, it's like a swordfish. It's incredible. Yeah, it's a swordfish. It wasn't, it wasn't a swordfish. But Bass I think so. fish. It Shark, baby seal. Yeah, those like, guys are playing darts like at the bar. same time as each other. That's not how you play darts, you guys. You just go Take one at a time. Darts. They three, were like two, one, so go. close. They were really. You throw all three at the same time. It was like the basketball when you like trying to get more. Yeah, it was incorrect. One of us is going to hit the bullseye. The other's not. Or we're going to hit somebody. <laughs> so, all right, clarify this for me. A little kid then comes up to Thorn after Tony's left and gives him a VHS tape. Uh, which he then puts into the Bard's VHS. Don't you love Bard's that have VHS? Like, yeah, also, why wow, was yeah. a tape that was some gave Yeah, that's like bar. evidence in the middle of a bar. It could be you having sex with a hooker, you don't know. Yeah. But, okay, so, like, the spoilers for the end of the film. I know anyone listening to this, you've seen the film, I'm sure. But, yeah, a lot of this, or all of it, is going to turn out to be... Repeated. Whether it's hell, or in its dream, or reality that's then repeated, or like, it's definitely going to get blurry about what was real and what isn't real, and blah, right. blah, blah. Well, who's this little kid, though, meant to come from? Is he meant to be the engineer who sent this little kid? Yeah. Is- well, so the only re- way that I could associate this little kid is that he's Asian, and that later there's a definite Asian influence that and happened. The cowboy bar. So I think it was to push him to that. Okay. But that's all I got. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I... I, I, I 
confused with because they have the, and the whole mantra of hunt for the engineer and the engineer hunts for you can you get to it at the end but what that really what that represents then i don't know if it was just they wanted something that was weird to have like a little kid coming into a bar like that because otherwise they could have just had the bartender come and like just hand it to him yeah or something like it didn't have to be and again i'm gonna give it a credit here because this is 2000 is a period of time that i hated in horror films because i would go to fright fest this film festival in london and for about three years in a row 50% 50% of the fucking films, the ending was, oh, it wasn't real. It was all in their head. Right. Or they were the killer, basically. And yeah. it drove me insane. I was like, just stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And the way most movies would do it is, oh, everything would be weird. Like, everything is just weird and surreal all the time. And at the end, it's like, oh, but it wasn't really real, as if yeah. that excuses all the poor writing. And I can totally imagine the scenes like this in those movies would just be, oh, he looks down and the VHS tape is just there mm-hmm. suddenly in front of him or whatever. I do appreciate in this they are making it work as a coherent, you know, act to act story. Right. Like you buy it as a story until you get to the twist at the end and whether they work or not, we'll get to when we get there. But at least it's not, it's surreal, but it's surreal in a coherent way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mind this at all. And it kind of like keeps bringing children into it, which is important at the end as well. For sure. So it just didn't bother me. So on this VHS tape, which he's watching at a bar, no one else seems to mind. Yeah. But we learn on later is because potentially there was nothing on the tape. Uh, so it's just him sitting in the bar looking at static. No one's worried about that either. <laughs> Poltergeist. I was watching that. <laughs> uh, he sees Ice Cream Dude being lashed with hook chains by at first an unseen killer until it pans up to a face, which is kind of like the chatter, half chatter one. It's smoothed over. There's just a mouth that's kind of square and yeah. weird. And then it has the black CGI tongue, which is then using to lick the fingerprints or burn them off of the fingers, which I kind of like this. Yeah. I and still it, don't like the tongues. Well, there's a whole thing about black tongues in this. And obviously black tongues are, you know, tied into Satan's tongue, Satan's tongue or lying and right. just like, you know, not being truthful to who you are and all this stuff. Black tongue. And then it puts the finger in the cash register. Puts the finger in the cash <laughs> register. <laughs> <laughs> I've got written down. I'm liking the film at this point. Oh, Jesus. Oh, gosh. I put. I literally just wrote, uh, I hate his face so much. <laughs> and which one? And then the, I said, the this voiceover guy? noir shit is so boring. Half the scenes just feel like fillers, which is actually for the next scene. All right. So he shows the video to Tony and the other guys at the station, but there's nothing on the tape. So his boss assigns him to a psychiatrist. <laughs> Um, so he brings Tony a little bit up to speed and asks him to go and find Leon and Dr. Paul Gregory turned out to be a psychiatrist. Which he like pleads with Tony. He was like, you have to do this for me. Blah, blah. I'd be like, fuck you, fuck you dude. right off, You're dude. You're trying to set me like, up for murder. No, why are you even talking to me right now? No, yeah. So this guy kind of clarifies, what do you say? He's not a priest. He's a mesodine. He's an Episcopalian. Okay. So they get to have some fun. Yes. Which means they can be married and have kids. Okay. And have but sex. Who is? Episcopalian. No, who said that? The psychiatrist, the psychiatrist priest. priest guy. Which I did not get that he was a priest until that was said. Oh, he definitely like feel. I don't know. There's yeah, something about the way he like it, but he doesn't. The way he acts, he it's look so like priestly, it. and he's yeah. got the black collared shirt but without the white. It's like buttoned all the way up. Yep. Uh, he says he's got a daughter as well who's six. They're throwing a lot of kids in that area, like yeah. six, seven, for you to like try and wonder. Oh, is any of these people? He does some magic for a psychiatrist. 
Yeah. Which is interesting. Considering, and I like this, <laughs> just the look on his face when psychiatrist's like, oh, I bet your kid loves close-up magic. And he just looks, <laughs> Thorne's just like, yeah. oh, I never, I never thought about it. <laughs> I just do I it just for do myself. I just do it for myself. Yeah. Wow. Such a just great look on his face. Like, you are a selfish dude. When did he start doing magic? Like, there was no indication when he was a kid. It's just, I'm just doing magic so now. That's what he does. Yeah, uh, the magic is just totally just like, oh, we need something more to do with his character to make him, you know, a real Maybe character. Maybe that's what they're trying to get for you to like him, is that he does magic. He does magic. <laughs> like, what's really like, hot right now? Uh, David Copperfield and that, that one dude, David Blaine. But the no, dude but- made Doctor Strange. He has to like magic at some yeah. point. Like, it's got to be just something he's doesn't into. doesn't mean everybody has to be into magic. But he, otherwise, he's got nothing. Like, at least they're giving him something. He's got his glasses that turn him into Clark Kent. <laughs> So yeah, there, he excuses himself, and then we get this great shot of Thorn using two computers at the same time, like a ninja. <laughs> yeah, like he's just like looking back and forth between them, and just I just thought the scene was so pointedly a uh, you have to meet this guy. Yeah, scene because they do nothing. The scene does absolutely nothing other than to establish that he doesn't do magic for his kid. Oh, the psychiatrist, and yeah. then yeah, and yeah. then we go back. It's double hacking and. Or, or like his phone rings, isn't it? And then he's like, oh, I gotta go. Can we reschedule this? And the guy's like, 10 o'clock tomorrow. Well, he's just like, like freaking out. He just says he's really tired, but it's not. He needs to like. I know, but it it's, was just weird. Yeah. It was a weird scene. So he's on these two, two computers working away. And we do get some voice over here, which again, it's terrible. Like all the voiceover. But it does give you the one thing. It clarifies the one thing about his personality that we're meant to like. And we're way into the fucking movie here. And he does this whole thing about children are the only sacred thing left in this world, uh, which is his quote. And there's a whole bunch of lines here. why you must rub here. your face on them and smile <laughs> and while they're you, sleeping. Yeah, and why you let an ice cream guy who you yeah. know does some untoward things get away with whatever he's doing. But it definitely, like, this is like, you, you come in earlier with this stuff, you know? This is the only thing they really give you. To show, okay, he has no compassion for anything. He's not treating his kid well, really, no. either. So he's still way too selfish, but he wants to, like, if anything bad is happening out there to kids, he wants to, like, you know, fucking hound that and solve it and protect well, the kids. Should have started with the ice cream guy. <laughs> but it's like, why wouldn't you get this up front with his character? Like, well, like, this is the kind of thing. If I, if I just had this even early on in the film, I'd care more about it. Because yeah, you could have had this voiceover reveal- when he was, like, laying on his kid's face. <laughs> you know? Kids you like, never reveal the magic trick. <laughs> But it's just a dumb place to like, it's like, okay, but this is the only point really where we get, okay, and we're like, all right, he, he, yeah, is smart, does not magic, and he cares about kids. That's it. But they're the only people we learn he cares about. But he doesn't do magic for kids. No. <laughs> so he doesn't like kids as much as he likes himself. No. But. I like magic. <laughs> <laughs> I like Chinese things. Uh, so he starts seeing things now. So we get a put being brought in who has this smooth tongue face. But it turns out, again, it's not real. And then they find his snitch, Ice Cream Dude, dead. And his partner seems to start to be thinking that Thorne's got something to do with it. So they go to the Ice Cream Guy and then listen to the voice messages, which tells him to meet him at a location. Now, is this because the Ice Cream Guy has been trying to hunt down the engineer for him? Like, what is this voice message following up on? Uh, where the location of the dude it was, the pimp guy. Think yeah. Of, yeah. But why... Why? Why? Who, who did? Why did Ice Cream Guy ring anybody? Because he wanted like, to find the dude who had the thing. 
Oh, uh, with the, the guy engineer. who had the run in with the engineer. Okay, so it's so that was the guy, was it? Right. That is the pimp, is it ringing him back to say, yes. Meet me at the cowboy lounge? Yeah, <laughs> it's a hipster cowboy lounge. Meet me at the cowboy The finger is in the cash register, just as it was on the videotape. It's in the cash it's register. In the cash register. <laughs> yeah, he's all like, the cops are like, Whoa, like, that's right. how did you know that? <laughs> yeah, he's like, It was on the videotape that no one else can say, <laughs> idiots. Yeah. I'm like, you're clearly guilty. <laughs> Somehow. Lost his damn mind. So yeah. they head on over to the location mentioned on the phone, which is a cowboy hipster bar in the woods called Crossroads. This is one of the reasons I think it's outside of live that we're in LA, because this feels like you're up in Topanga Canyon or something like that. Oh, yeah. And there's a huge bear stuffed outside it, in case you didn't know cowboys. <laughs> yeah, what a weird place. I like this bar. Yeah, it's All cool. cowboy hats. All Every cowboys. single person. So it's a gambling, what is a gambling racket, and everybody is a cowboy. Yeah. Every single Why? person. Every single person. This is so... So here's the thing. This is actually a year before Mulholland Drive came out. Nice. But this is so Mulholland Drive. It's so well, David Lynch. This is Twin Peaks too. Yeah. This, a lot of, this, this whole place is like one-eyed jacks. Like that plays out in the. So that's what running arguments with fans are basically is like, yeah, so nobody thinks this is Hellraiser meets Seven. Everyone is like, this is Hellraiser meets David Lynch, mm-hmm. essentially, but in a straight to DVD fashion, clearly. Uh, but it seems like, I don't know, you've got cool visuals or cool colors here. Things are getting really weird and surreal. Mm-hmm. And I like it. Like, I'm fine. I wish that they would have kept this. Like, I yeah. wanted them to just keep going super surreal yeah. with it instead of trying to make it realistic after this. Yeah, they, I mean, from here it's it's unwinding pretty quickly. From here, like everything starts it's unraveling. just unraveled. It's like they start cutting the rope and everything's untethering. Which I like. Like I generally find, like for me, the pacing again is like the intentions. I like the pacing of it, the fabric sort of falling apart and things getting weirder and weirder. Weirder. I actually feel by the end of this movie, I feel his frustrations with stuff. I feel like oh shit, like I feel like you're going insane because of the correlation between things. It's just still I can't care about him at all because he's such a fucking magnanimous prick. But magnanimous. Magnanimous. It puts the finger in the basket. (laughs) A cowboy turns up. The cast register. I also love this actor and I've forgotten his name because then a dude comes over to talk to him. Do you guys know who this guy is? No. So he has a lot of little bit parts and stuff, but what we really know him from is a film that came out. Did it come out just before this or the same year? No, it was just before because it was on the millennium. It's Fight Club. This is the guy when Edward Norton is going around the world trying when he's starting to put it together and he runs into a guy who's in a neck brace. Remember? He's in fight. Yeah. It's like, no, sir. And then he starts like and he delivers exactly like this. Like this scene is identical other than in style and acting. Okay. But he delivers it exactly how he delivers his bit in Fight Club in terms of his reveal. And he's even talking to this guy in the same way. Wow. Where he's like where the, he then says to him, are you the engineer? Because he says it the other way to do with like Tyler Durden in mm-hmm. the film. And he's like, you flatter me, sir. And yeah. it's almost exactly, he calls him sir, the same way he calls Edward Norton, sir. And that's the point where Edward Norton's like, why did you call me sir? Right. And it all starts to come together. So for me, watching a film the first time, being really into Fight Club that year, that was really, really prescient in my brain. And I was immediately like, ah, oh, he's got to be the engineer. That's what it told me. It was like, he's right. the engineer. Which is not what it is at all when you get to the end. But yeah. um, dun, dun, dun. completely led me down that path with it. Um, and yeah, and then he's got like, that's just, I fucking, I really love these lines. I really do. Like, I love him when he's like, 
I can assure you, sir, you're quite mistaken about the engineer's message. And he's just delivering yeah. it. Like, this guy just delivers it so flat and creepily that I, I don't know. I like it. And then ends it with, it appears you're playing one of his games right now. And it does feel Lynch. Like, it really does. This is, like, one of the only bits where, like, yes, this successfully feels like Lynch, whereas the rest of the film messily feels like trying. What, this next scene doesn't do it for you? Well, yeah, because then someone on the other side of the room, and it's no face boy, skates out of the room. I like this as well. I yeah, like, that I like shot. this movement. He I runs it was to the cool. door, but he's not. He's actually, you can't tell because he's off screen, yeah. but he's on roller skates. And so he just sort of slides across yeah. the room. Yeah, that is cool. Nice little touch. Yeah. Um, and then runs out into the woods. So he chases him out. We see yeah, the twin center bites in the woods. <laughs> we see the bodily ch- chatterer in the woods. And then two native, I'm sorry, not native American, two oriental guys chinese i would say they chinese i think? japanese with crazy long hair come Hard out of the fog they're doing kung fu well that would be chinese oh they're chinese <laughs> and they kick his ass yeah what is this i said oh good let's mix overwritten detective yeah. with western cowboy theme What's- and let's just throw in chinese kung fu for good yeah, measure because the, the other thing you just said sounds awesome they're <laughs> once once wearing white once wearing black yin and yang oh uh, yeah that's true it's like great I don't know, but I don't, again, I don't know, even in the context of are we in the, the loopy dream, are we, you know, which bits actually happen in real life mm-hmm. and which bits are basically hell. I'm not sure, but I don't know who, uh, what's the engineer doing? You know, I get the intentions when we get to Yang because it's very explicit. Uh, well, it's Yang and Yang, so it'd be like the inner battle between yourself, which mm-hmm. is now. Beats you up, oh, maybe. Which is real now. They'll beat you up. I'll take that. So, I'll take that as an explanation. Yeah. yeah. So they leave him basically kind of being up and then Tony finds him. He's like, sorry, man, I lost you in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> and my own little Blair Witch film going on for a bit. So he tries to drive Tony's him to the hospital. Tony's just trying to blend in with all the cowboys inside. He's like, <laughs> that, uh, it's like how do you? It's like, man, I'm going to come back here and arrest them all. It's going to be great. <laughs> but he's being nice to him. And I get like this in films when like when someone's being nice to someone who sh- wouldn't normally be and I'm like oh hold on to that right. like don't damage them being nice to you because I get really precious about that shit uh-huh. and Tony's been really nice to me he's trying to drive him to the hospital and Thorne's like take me to the fucking station and just starts shouting at him yeah. like dude he's being nice be yeah. nice back so he goes he realizes and to his credit he realizes I need therapy so he goes to see Dr. Gregory well Which maybe you- he's just really you know diligent about keeping his appointments and it's, but I like this normally you wouldn't get this like He's like, no, I'm insane. I need to go and tell someone I'm insane. And that's what he does. So then Our we learn. confesses. I need to do a confession. Yeah, basically. Uh, so Dr. Gregory says years ago, when he first year on the force, he heard about the engineer. And the doctor tells him what he knows about it. So he says in 1986. Anybody else notice this? That's the year. That is. Well, I mean, because the first one was 1986, was 97. So like it was within that year that the first film's meant to have taken right. place. Or at least the stuff with Frank definitely like, was taking place. And he says, there was a detective who was on a case that led to the engineer. In his illusions, he elevated the engineer to a place of almost supernatural power. And a detective then blew his brains out at his desk. Um, and he had this box, this Laman configuration. So, I mean, there's no way I can tie this into the first film. But that's the thing. Like, yeah, is it talking about him in 1986? That he's been doing this for a long time. So the same year as the first film and the fashion of everything is definitely 2000s in this film. Right. So don't know. Confusing. But you think that's him talking about saying this is you since 1986 then? Because this was only the first time I've noticed that as well. With this film was like, well, hang well on, the only story. other tie is that he's a 
psychiatrist and then you the second film is yeah. focused more on psychoanalysis. You want Dr. Chenard back? No, I don't. <laughs> Doctor. Uh, but yeah, this is the first time we have detectives really besides yeah. the second one because you have some detectives in the second one. Mhm. Mhm. A very tired look for a brief moment. Yeah. Then he says, yeah, like, uh, so Thorne then brings out the box and the doctor tells him that the box is called the Lament Configuration. It appears on occult literature throughout the centuries. It mentions Cenobites and demons. You open it, they come for you, and then they leave. So he makes this point of like that, like, and they very strictly go, well, these are the rules we're definitely sticking by. Could they break some of the others? But like, here's the rules thing by, you open it, they come for you, and then they leave. So it's like, well, if you're still in it, then that means they have to be here. Right. Um, which is your first, basically, just explain to you the plot. Did you guys... What are you guys thinking? It's your first time watching. Did you con on to what's actually going on? No pun with con. Yeah. So you, did you know he was in hell? Did you think he was a killer? Or I like, what figured he... it was something where, yeah, he'd kind of set things free and he hadn't closed it. Like the gate was still open. He's still in the box. Because he's still like seeing Cenobites and things like yeah. that. So that was pretty much a hard indicator for me that I was like, oh yeah, it's like his world is meshing with theirs basically. Okay, okay. So you got, yeah, 50% of it. At least yeah, I was like... like you, did you think he was the killer at any point? Or? No. Okay. I just thought he left the gate open from okay. all the past. Like, he left Let the, gate the dog open. out. I was like, when are they going to play Baja, man? <laughs> <laughs> so he goes home to check on his daughter. And his daughter's like, Daddy, are you home yet? When are you coming home? Kid is always sleeping. Kid really looks like the mother. Yeah. Like, crazily like yeah. the mother. So his wife nurses him and he reaches out for her and then sees he has a demon's hand. So we're getting very literal. But as again, this one's only bits of tenderness. Oh, and my demon hand. And I, I will say this, it, it says something either about my, my own empathy possibilities or just about Scott Derrickson again as a director, not as a writer. That I am feeling stuff for him. I'm feeling the frustrations of his world falling apart and he's starting to try and reach out to people, but it doesn't go right. It's mm-hmm. kind of like... That even with a character like, this horrible, well, it's kind of like the Grinch, something. or not the Grinch, uh, Scrooge and yeah. you know, Grinch. Mm-hmm. You don't like them in the beginning, but yeah, but they have charisma. That's the problem, isn't it? They have some charm and charisma. Like Bill Murray, just immediately emanates. Okay, we like him, even though yeah, he's can't. But I think we're still open to the possibility because there's a lot of other nice people. So we're like, come on, just change, be nice, man. Is that what you're hoping for? Do you think with this, you're hoping that he's gonna by the end he'll learn his oh, lesson? No, I just want him no, to I die. Him to die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I, I could see horribly. what I was trying to Are do. Are you expecting him to change the point you expecting there'll be a point where he no, realizes oh. i was just waiting for him to literally off himself interesting because i feel that is i feel they're hoping that you're gonna hope for redemption no for never no. i was like you're He's too far down this rabbit hole yeah. like there's there's no light at the end of this tunnel that you're like oh if you just go this way you could get better because mm-hmm. even if right now if he was to just radically change there what are what would be the result there yeah. like you can't even if he was to go out and be like listen i set up my partner, blah, 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 I've been cheating on my wife. Like, even if he confessed to everyone around him, you just feel like his plight is still hopeless. No, I still think he's hopeless. But I think, I think the first time, it's a long time for me to remember now because 2000 was a long time ago. But I think I was, because of that, again, that line from that guy in the cowboy bar, I thought, okay, this guy's the killer, but it's going to be some metaphor and blah, blah, blah. And I thought when we got to the end, he would be confessing to Pinhead. That's what I thought. It's like, he's going to be confessing and crying to Pinhead and admitting everything he did was wrong and Pinhead's not going to give a shit and then right. just rip him apart. And that would be the end of the film kind of thing. Which again, it's not really, it's not quite what we end up with. No. Never really is. His mother then rings and says that she has a visitor, some sort of engineer. Uh, so he warns his wife not to leave the house, to lock the doors and windows. Here's something. And gives her a gun. Gun. 
I so said, what <laughs> the best, what did I, oh, the best way to hand someone a, a gun is to yell at them while doing it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because he's literally just like screaming at her and he's shoving a gun in her hand. And then we get some very, very, very exponential also, dialogue of the kid going, I want my daddy. And the mother it, just goes, daddy's gone. Yeah. Especially if she was like, daddy, where's daddy? As he's still there. Mm-hmm. And he's walking like, he's just, he's right next to you. Well, she just says, I want my daddy. But, uh, but that's literally just so we can have this terribly on the nose dialogue. Yeah, daddy's gone. Just so she can have that line yeah, back and right. just say, no, he's already like. And they, they are telling us at this point. Like, there are lots of the scenes are telling you exactly what's happening here. But So he goes to the care home to see his mother, where they don't even know who he is because he's never visited his mother. Cause, and at the, again, this is the point where it's like, well, I am feeling sympathy for him now. So now when we're getting these things, you can see his slight shame coming through with this mm-hmm. stuff and i can feel oh okay now this is where the world ladles on how shitty he should feel whereas at the beginning the problem is it's all coming from him pushing it onto the world you right know? if at the beginning it was people going why weren't you at this why did you do that like you know like making him feel guilty for the bad stuff he's done then i'll start off on a more sympathetic foot with him right but instead it's only here that i'm starting to feel like okay dude you're a dick and you know it you know it now like you know you've been a dick only yeah. now you notice he's really a dick i'm just kidding <laughs> Uh, but I mean, like, I think only now is he's noticing that he's a dick. I do get that arc with his character yeah. at this point. She says, I didn't even know the Thorns have a son. So he struggles with the whole way because it's all dreamlike y. Which also makes it go like, A, she could have worked there for a long time, or B, she's new. Yeah. So she yesterday, could, though. She could be so, new. Yeah. <laughs> I just started two weeks ago. I didn't even know they had a son. Like, <laughs> no shit. Why would you know that? Yeah, no, so we get a couple of just like surreal imagery. We see a woman who turns into twins, which I guess oh, is meant yeah. to lean towards yeah. the Cenobite twins. And then a guy in a wheelchair, which I guess leans towards a chatterer because he's half a body chatterer, isn't he? He doesn't have his legs. Yeah. yeah. And, he's going, um, and he's got a stretched <laughs> mouth. <laughs> yeah, which is weird. It's just, this is more like, this feels like Hellraiser 2 <laughs> to me, these bits. Mm-hmm. And then his father and his mother. His father's on like a support machine. We don't really know what for, but definitely last legs of life. Right. Uh, his mother doesn't look up from knitting, keeps repeating the dialogue. We're fully in a dream now, for sure. Yeah. Or whatever it is that we're in. And I like the mother's delivery here. I don't know why. There's actually a line here that gives, gave me a shivers, and I remembered being 20 when I first watched it, and it creeping me out. Mm. Um, there's something to do with the mother not looking up and then repeating a bit of the dialogue, but not all of it. And right. then... Just like, like, you never visit... Why didn't you ever visit or something? Yeah. And then he has his gun and then she like, she's like, put that, she away. Goes put like, that thing away. And then she's like, put that thing away now. And it's like, real, I don't know. There's something about it. Just creeped me out when I was younger. That still creeps me out now. Right. And then the, the same child's like screaming. So he goes through the door and then he's back in his childhood home again, locked in uh, this new room. He then hears horrible things happening to his parents in the other room. And we get like a little callback. Maybe are we going to think that they've watched Hellraiser 3 to the blood under the door of the club? Yeah. Except their blood has so much air bubbles in it. This blood looks better though than the yeah, one. Yeah, I, I noticed when he pulled his feet away. I was like, "Wow, that looks yeah, really good." it was really looks thick nice. and good. But I was yeah. like, "You shouldn't have that much air bubbles in your <laughs> blood." Because now I just know that. Maybe, the well, maybe it all came from our yeah. lungs. Mm. So yeah, then he opens his eyes <laughs> and he's back in bed with his nursing wife, and he's in a loop, a little yep. mini loop inside the bigger loop. He's in Looper. He is in Looper. So this is, I think this is important because this shows it isn't one loop. There right. are loops that happen even inside the loops, right? Yeah. Because I think that's very important for when we get to the end. We're trying to clarify a couple of things. Well, it shows the loop regenerating when he wakes up from things. Like whenever he goes to sleep, it yeah, but shows it, but like... Yeah, but he's just in the door looking at the blood and then he suddenly... No, he I goes, know, <gasps> but he had back. laid down when the loop starts. Yeah, but he wasn't asleep when he was You don't there. know that, though. 
Uh, I'll tell you when the loops start. <laughs> I'll tell you when the <laughs> So yeah, he rushes back to the care home. We get kind of an alternate repeat of everything, but he pulls his gun out early here so the security guy like goes after him, gets him to drop his gun. She's like, he had a gun. He's like, what the fuck? And then he goes in and the parents who finds out have disappeared and they've already called the police and that's why they think he's there because the parents aren't here this time. And then the door he went through is now a closet and the bed is full of blood. I just keep thinking, how do you do this thing where the, cause they have a sheet on a bed of blood? Yeah. It's the kind well, of thing you write and then you come to directing that scene and you're like, fuck. Well, you could have just got it raised up a little bit over, like if yeah, you just had little things. Perfect? Because as soon as a bit touches that, it's just going to seep through. Uh, you well, just have, have like to have a double layer blanket. Well, you could also have like little tissues in between it. Yeah. So that way it doesn't soak through the sheet and it'll still keep it above and then once you press it'll or even like sponge or something that is like thick enough that it's not gonna vertically you can rest on it without anything yeah yeah you could could even put a sponge on top of it until you press on the sponge and then it was a cool visual again it's probably very simple but it looks cool i like it and they're definitely like uh, homaging to the like blood through white sheets yeah, that we've seen in several one. others. Yeah, that first one when Ashley uh, Lawrence's. Well, we like, saw it in, in Hellbound as well with Frank's Hell. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah and they probably true. only did those two spots. Yeah. And then that's true. did the wide. Right. All right. Spoil the magic for me, guys. Well, well we're just trying to teach you how to direct a film. Sh- yeah. I don't know if you know how to do yeah. it. <laughs> also, there's a lot of magic in it, and I just revealed the magic. You did yeah. really. We magic. taught you how it's done. Can't tell you how he does his magic, though. That cocaine magic pretty impressive that cocaine magic so he sees a box by the bed and inside are another two fingers and a note that gives an address so i've been counting okay and we have had one finger from john cho right one finger from the hooker right one finger from ice cream man and now we've got two fingers from his parents yeah yeah agreed that's all so far yeah yeah okay which is one two three four five fingers Okay, I may not necessarily have a point with that, but I might. Uh, yeah, I think it, you're gonna lead back. <laughs> okay, so what's happening? Yes, then things. Uh, Tony comes, tells him that the captain wants to see him, uh, and he tells Tony that he's scared. And Tony tells him that there's no engineer, there's just him. So they get into a fist fight. Yeah, which is pretty piss poor because then Tony's like, "I'm sorry, guy. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean." That. He's like, yeah. you're the killer. There's no engineer. It's just you. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean. I didn't mean Tony wallops him. <laughs> I know. And he's like, oh shit, you're a pussy. Yeah. So Thorn goes to the dress, leaving Tony behind, and it's a horrible, dirty apartment building. And there's an empty dark room with a single telescope pointing out of blacked-out windows, getting very sort of rear windowy here. And he peers through it and sees Tony tied to a chair in the adjacent building, uh, with the faceless Cenobite killing him. And then shows another finger to Thorn through the telescope, uh, which then they never find again, do they? But we have a finger here, technically from his partner. But yeah. then his partner's still alive? Or no. Not? That's his it? His partner's dead. Oh, is he dead for the rest of this film? Until yeah. that loop? Yeah. Okay. All right. Then it does work out. They did their math in the script. Well done then. I, was, I wasn't convinced for some reason. They only have to count to 10. <laughs> but then he's in this empty room and then the phone rings. Again, it feels very, very David Lynch. It's a red phone. Yeah. And it says on the phone, six fingers, six murders, only four fingers left. I want you to go home, detective. It's time to go home. He does this thing with his eyebrows in this scene that's incredible. <laughs> like one of them so evil arced as <laughs> he's listening to this. Uh, so he calls in for a unit to go to where Tony was killed. And then he heads home with a shotgun in hand. Um, there's some cool music here for the first time, actually, in the film. Most of the music's been pretty just 
you can ignore it other than the sexy jazz music which is bad that's not that <laughs> so now we're in his house and there are chains in the house there's snow falling down there's the rotating pillar cocaine falling down cocaine snow um, and we see his wife and daughter chained to one of the rotating Hellraiser pillars. I really think the visuals in this room, it's, I don't know, I think it's the best I've seen that setup look. Like the lighting looks yeah. cool. The snow coming down looks the cool. The pillar rotating with actual people on it. Yeah. And the grade of it is nice. Like it just looks, this is me. I remember the first time as well. I was like, oh, we are going to get proper Hellraiser on this film, um, which we don't. <laughs> but this point i was very upset because i don't know i've reached a point with this film where to see the pillar of souls with this guy in the same room i was actually upset <laughs> i was like how dare they bring the pillar of souls into this don't <laughs> don't even think about it well instead uh yeah then the doctor comes out of a cupboard i think yeah something <laughs> he just sort yeah. of appears like, with how this do you, little how do you do and he says, like, it takes hours to die from his cold, hours when no one came home. Thorn starts crying and tells his daughter that he's home, he's home, and then reaches out for her, and then her arm comes off. It looks cool. Like, it's a yeah, good frost, but, and especially when the hand hits the ground and yeah, all the blood shatters. comes out of it, I was like, whoa. And then both of them, the, his wife and his daughter, crumble, and it looks good. They stay on no, the shot the whole time. I think it looks good. And then the doctor smiles and then finds another finger. Shouldn't there be two? Because it's the daughter and the wife. Yeah, I think he just showed one, though. It's okay. supposed to be two. I couldn't see another one there on the desk. I was looking for it this time. Mm. But anyway, so they ran the print and got a match almost instantly. And the child's fingerprint is yours. And if you notice, the priest's little cross label pin is upside down. Yeah, yeah it is. Upside down cross. Yeah. Very nice. Cool. And then I like this as well. Like when he says, I didn't mean this home. I meant your first home. Um, so like you've come to the Dummy. Right home. But I like this idea of like, if he hadn't gone to that home, would his wife and daughter be dead and again maybe the engineer was like waiting at the other home and then they were like Dude, he's like god damn it i got an uber over there oh fuck i got expensive. it all rigged up he's like hanging chains yeah he'd already decorated <laughs> yeah and then we really do get like a bit of a mission statement here because he says i know everything about you joseph your file is almost complete um yeah, and then he says, like, you're, you're the engineer. And they said, well, it's as good a name as any. And we get this nice little smirk. And then he morphs. CG. CGI. Into Doug Bradley as Pinhead. The facial structures do kind of work for this, I yeah. feel. But the pins yeah. were so large on that CG. Yeah, like, it was really intense. What? They were very shiny, too. Did you guys guess that this guy was going to be Pinhead? Or? Mm, I, no. No. I also didn't kind of care at that point. I was just like, meh. Whatever. I have. I'm only vaguely interested when Pinhead shows up. He is. Uh, There's a thing. This guy, like, just from his acting for me, immediately, I remember the first time I was like, oh, he's going to be Pinhead. Just yeah. because the way he's acting is. He's from the Warriors. <laughs> yeah. He's fucking great. Yeah, we should. We didn't really mention him, did we? Yeah. But this guy. Well, I didn't is even notice that. I knew he was James from Ramar. something until Justin told me this morning. And then I was like, oh my God, he's Ajax. He's in low. He's in Sex in the City. He's yeah, in Jericho. He's in a lot. Dexter. He's in a lot of that. He's in a horror film last year called The Pine- Black Duck Coat. He's also in Pineapple really. Express. He's in tons of stuff. Yeah. It's a good aesthetic. Good face as well. Like a, definitely the most, for me, the most interesting and likable face. Definitely. Yeah. Imagine this whole film if he was the detective, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it would have been so should, much better. He should have been the detective. He should be torn. That guy can act. Yes. Yeah. I like that. 
that face it's like a michael shannon kind of face where you're like yeah. you're kind of a villain but there's like a lot of yeah there's like something lovability it's an interesting yeah, exactly. face texture yeah. to it uh so thorn then goes through the closet doors that pinhead came through <laughs> and he's back in his childhood bedroom and he looks out the window and we see the current me for wrong katie it's like a midwest countryside outside it's like fields yeah and- there's definitely like a barn that he can see from where he is live a simple farm life I'm city boy. I like how Snow I'm the, uh, the professional. Yeah. I'm to tell you what is Midwestern and what is not. <laughs> well, what you're is? the only one of the three of us from the Midwest. Yes, that is I've been to the very Midwest. similar to the view that was out of my bedroom window. <laughs> I've been to the Midwest. Yeah, but I've have you there, lived but, like, that life? I grew up there, sir. Yeah. That Midwest life. <laughs> nope, don't want to. <laughs> See, there's snow coming down outside. And I want to tie this in because this scene's going to be important. Because we find he's, he finds himself solve, uh, as a kid solving a jigsaw puzzle. So we know it's definitely him because he's solving a jigsaw puzzle. And then the mother screams out for, for him to come through the other room. He sees his father's asleep in a chair watching the Vietnam War on the TV. So yeah. we get the era. Oh, I thought it was MASH. <laughs> Sorry. Like watching MASH. That's cool. Here's the bit, isn't it? When we'd expect some explanation. Like here's like where we get some back history to pass the blame in some way in terms of all right well the father was abusive or the mother was this or this other person came in or he was interfered with as a child or whatever it was like some excuse we don't get that do we no perfect Uh, life and what confused well the father's asleep so i'm like okay or maybe the father's distant that's all i could possibly read into this is the father's not connecting that well to him but the mother definitely is the mother's definitely doting on him and then she's like and then they make a point of this because it's like I cooked you these brownies because you're such a good boy to like show he wasn't always a dick. At some point he was just like young and nice. Mm-hmm. And again, tying into innocence with children, I guess, and right. purity. But the snow's falling outside. And I'm like, well, the snow keeps falling throughout this film. I'm happy with it just as a surreal visual anyway. Maybe it's more tied to hell and Pinhead like snow. Don't know. He's like, but hell if, is just too hot. But because then it's out that window, I feel this is meant to be tied into his childhood. Right. This was like a moment in yeah. his life. That- and it can't be snowing all the time in his childhood. Right. So I feel like it has to be tied to a memory this snow so that's why i'm like okay we're gonna get something that explains something happened on this day yeah it was something tragic or at least notable but nothing no nothing at all mom just made brownies i did like that with the vietnam war in the tv i wrote down a dream of one war it's a dream of all wars oh yeah (laughs) don't forget spency boy could get through maybe he's looped into everything in hellraiser maybe really thought this through but yeah then the ground starts shaking cracks maybe the snow represents how he gets, how he becomes cold towards people that he cares about. Yeah, maybe. Coldness in his heart. Coldness. Purity yeah. as well in terms of just like. Or when he was when just was always. Pure, pure snow. I don't know. I don't think they thought it through. Yeah. Think it's I think a cool it's, visual. My grandma used to say something about how like when it snowed, it was like a cleansing. Yeah. Because it like cleansed everything. Yeah, 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 it cleanses stuff. So I don't know. Maybe they're going for. Who knows what they're going visual, for? This is the problem. Like There's all these sort of like shrugs. I feel they're going for something, but I don't get what it is. Uh, then the whole house starts molding over. His mother grows old. The kid disappears completely. And then his With mother, his brownie, though. He gets to keep the brownie. He gets to keep the brownie. <laughs> Pretty great. And then the mother turns around. And she's got carved her eyeballs out. Yeah. Or they're just carved out. So she comes at him with a knife. And then his father grabs him. And he's also got his eyeballs carved out. So he kills both of them with a shotgun. <laughs> Yeah, where did the shotgun come from? He's been carrying it the whole time. Why does he have a shotgun? He he left his house uh, with his wife with the shotgun. In okay. Time. Yeah. All of a sudden, everyone's getting blown away, yeah. literally. And I was it like, becomes what an the action fuck? movie. 
Yeah. So he heads out of the hallway, which is covered in snow again. I really love these shots stylistically. I think they look cool. Um, and this is where... Oh, actually, no. I'm going to say that later on. <laughs> he finds... Cause it's, I could say it now, but it's going to be really in my summary of the film. So he finds the hooker and he has to kill her. She hooks onto him. Then his partner, who's been stabbed in the back with three knives. Because he stabbed him in the back. have to be that literal. Yeah. Uh, do all these knives have crosses on them or is that just... Yeah. Too much? Okay. yeah. Uh, who's pulling them out and then throwing them back at Thorn. And then Ice Cream Guy has to kill that one as well. So we're just going for all the victims and showing yeah. him killing them. Right. So this is really where in my head I'm like, okay, he's definitely the killer. Well, he, he tries to whip the uh, Ice Cream Man, tries to whip him because he oh, yeah. whips him. He's abusive towards him. Get some S&M in there. Yep. Um, and then he hears the kid's voice again, screaming for help. And then Half Chatter and Twin Centibites are there because, you know, let's wheel out everything that we spent money on. All the actors, everybody yeah. we paid money, you go on set this day. All They're right? all like, so we don't have to come in today. Like, you come in every day. You don't know when we were going to throw you in. <laughs> yeah. And then he Doesn't runs out. Doesn't have to make sense. He runs out of bullets. So he throws his shotgun down, goes into the final room. And it's just pure darkness. He was going to waste his last bullet on shooting a door open that he could easily kick open. <laughs> I know. An idiot. <laughs> so he's in a complete darkness room. There's a kid version of himself, which has tied to a chair, which has fingers cut off uh, with two left, I think. Yeah, two yeah. left. And then the faceless Cenobite comes out and reveal, pulls away his face and reveals himself to be Joseph Thorne. Looking himself. at himself. With blood on it. So again, for me, I'm just like, okay, because I'm taking it way too literally the first time. I'm like, something to do with the box has, you know, gone into his mind where he's become kind of insane and done all these killings, literally, which is not the case. Then he gets chained up and Pinhead arrives and we get a lot of exposition, a lot of preaching from the Pinhead, who is definitely playing a different role here. So we're going to have to split this into a couple of things. One, which is the ending and two, which is how we feel about what they're doing with Pinhead. So he tells him your flesh is killing your spirit. Uh, very literally, we get the, uh, an adult version of him now without the facelessness going over to a child version of him. And we see that he's been cutting off the fingers. And he says, this is the life that you chose, all the people you hurt, all the appetites that you indulged. You are your own king. And this is the hell that you've created for yourself. And then we get big church organs playing. Um, um, he says, you have forsaken yourself. Welcome. This is not what organs sound like, Justin. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph is crying. And then Pinhead just says, welcome to hell. And then his face rips apart. We kind of get a split second of the skull under the face that then yeah. falls down. And we're left on the evil version of himself walking away. So there's a couple of things in it. Missed the face off moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> Did I miss it? Though? Did they steal that from Face Off or is this... That's what I said, he pulled his face no, off. No, 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 himself facing oh, himself. Oh, just looking at himself, yeah. Well, wasn't great. No. So there's a couple, couple of things in here. Then. So, hey, Face Off is great for A couple of things here. You've got... So basically, he has been in his hell. It has been looping. That's what we're about to learn a little bit more about. None of these people actually died then. What about John Cho? Because John Cho seems to definitely be a murder. Like, there's yeah. a few of them seem to be murder actual... I don't know. They turn into murder crime scenes. So I'm like, how much of this is actually our real memories? And how much is this just a, a metaphorical version of his life playing out? Of he killed all of these people with the guilt that he had from the way he, he was treated. So them. I think John Cho and the hooker both died. Because his partner could see them 
But, the whole then, but again, it's all this is all in hell though. So all of it could be. I know, but fabricated. after then, I, no one no, else but they sees find, anything. No, they find the ice cream guy dead. Oh, that's um, true. The police are sent to go to his partner who's dead. And after the hook, before when the hooker dies is after he's opened the box. The only one who dies before he opens the box is John Cho. And we're about to get into this because this is a problem. Because then he wakes up from this and he's back in bed with the hooker. Right. Before he's opened the box. Right. Oh, sorry. Just, no, it's he's, just, sorry, after just after he's, he's opened, opened the box. I mean. So this is the big thing on for forums, if you read them about this movie, is how does it work if the loop is starting from when he opens the box? Because that would make you feel like you've just been in this loop once. And Pinhead has that line earlier to do with your fault, your file is nearly complete because I know everything about you. As if like we've been learning about you by rerunning mm-hmm. these scenarios of your own guilt. Now I have a problem anyway with the metaphor. I get it's easy to do with these films. And this film I think gives you more than most of these films like I said earlier. But I have a problem with the metaphor of him killing everyone else because the only person he should really be killing is his child self. Like the fingers make right. sense and killing his soul, his spirit as they're trying to get across here a very religious theme makes sense but killing all the other people in his life doesn't really make sense i didn't really i still don't feel like it was him killing everyone else no not literally but i just right. mean he is like they're telling you he yeah, yeah, was yeah. the faceless centibite so metaphorically and in, in he is but i even don't think metaphorically that works no like it's it because the whole thing is about your flesh is killing your spirit right. uh, of the child so it should all be concentrated on killing yeah. the, the child which we don't really get that. Like, you really need, like, a scene of him at that center by killing the child well, or something, yeah. and then like, he pulls off the face and realizes it's him or something. It's, like, goodness, like, his spirit, all the things that he cared for. Yeah. Like, for example, not literally killing his partner, but framing him and stuff is, you know, going against what you wouldn't do if you were a yeah, good person. Completely. Yeah, completely. I so, just think they're muddling some of their visual metaphors. It was about... Yeah, it, definitely. Because the kid never dies. The kid just, like... yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas all these other people and do, the kid still and had two fingers, the and there wasn't—you're not going to die by killing, taking all of his but fingers. I think it was just him sacrificing the people so that his flesh could continue on. Like he basically would, yeah, yeah, indulging his, his yeah. appetites. No, completely, yeah. I get it. But yeah. I just mean they literally show you him killing those ones, yeah, and literally at the end with a shotgun. Yeah. Whereas the yeah. kid never dies, and the kid is definitely. Well, I the those big are thing just like zombie people, apart. like the recap. He's right. It kind of is. This is just you showing. Literally, this is what you you've been doing, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Killing these people through the conduit of the centibite, basically, which is you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the loop for me. So for me, it's all, and it, the, that's why I said it was important earlier. We have that mini loop where he wakes yeah. up again in his wife's arms when she's nursing him. Because for me, it's like, well, the loop isn't just from when he opens the box to the end and then round again. The loop is lots of little things and bigger right. things. So before he opens the box, because otherwise, John Cho dies before he opens the box, and they find the finger of the kid. Yeah, right. I think, Which makes no sense then. Yeah, I think it was once he opened the box in general. That's when his hell began. And he no, never, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Then it doesn't oh, yeah. make sense because before he opens the box, John Cho's dead. And there's already a finger and in already the candle. One of the kid's fingers that's his finger. Yeah, I think it was when he opened the box. Well, I think that story was like there was a police officer opened in 1986 or whatever maybe he opened it in 1986 and it's just been going forever and then new ways for it to so it loops in different places yeah it it doesn't really work and 2000 like 1986 definitely doesn't fit with the 2000 thing but i like that idea of not something to do with the the story of the detective from 1986 but yeah it's complicated um and doesn't really work yeah that's why it's meh. And then we get to Pinhead, 
Kuhira is in a completely different role, yeah, as a shepherd. Like, Pinhead is here to, like, to guide him through, to get him to where he's got to go to, and then to explain everything to him at the end. And to, like, say the stuff to do with the spirit and the soul. And it's, like, I guess this is the first time we're seeing Pinhead doing his daily job, I suppose. I suppose. Because we've always seen him when he's been called through to the real world. And the only time we saw him in Hellbound was still here being, like, when they went to hell. It wasn't him doing his normal stuff. He'd still been called through. Like, that bridge had been, was, you know, he was, he was in the middle of, like, like, he'd been called out on a job, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So maybe in the his day-to-day, call. this is what Pinhead does, is, like, but, but then what I feel, they've definitely cast Pinhead as here, which is definitely different from what Clive Barker wants, as he said, in terms of if he thinks this goes against everything he wanted with Hellraiser films and what they're meant to be about. But is this is literally like Pinhead is the the flip of the coin to an angel. Sure. Like you'd have angels when you go to heaven that ex- take you through your life and maybe explain stuff and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Pinhead here is literally a demon in a sense of an angel, but that is a looking after hell. Right. Like it's not necessarily going the tour to- tour guide. Yeah. Of your own hell. Exactly. He's not- being perverse for the sake of being perverse which clive barker loves being perverse for the sake of being perverse but is more much more religious in terms of yes i am and he does say to be honest at the beginning in that very first film we're demons to some angels to others and here he does seem more like an angel but for people in hell right kind of thing which a lot of people have trouble with obviously um and clive barker is one of them (laughs) so just to finish that quickly before i get to your opinions he goes, uh, yeah, he, he wakes up, apologizes to the hooker. So he seems starting to learn stuff. I like how she's like, I'm sleeping, go away. Like, I'm yeah, sorry. She says something about the money. I can't remember what she says. Yeah, I think she's she says, said, like, I, I might I've my earned money. my money. Yeah. Like, she's like, don't touch me. So he heads back to the police station. He puts up a photo of his wife and daughter on his desk. He's looking all happy about it. And then his phone rings. And it's the hooker again, screaming. So he starts panicking in a way Daphne. that in a way that only Craig Sheffer can panic. <laughs> And he puts a gun in his mouth and uh, kills himself and then wakes up yet again next to the box. Then he walks out of his bathroom into back into his childhood bedroom, sits on the bed, starts screaming as we get some more terrible VO, yeah. which says, I lived in a world of facts. I believed I was the center of the design and I was certain I knew all the answers, but now I face the truth. I've confronted my own demons and now the only thing that I know for certain is that I will live with them forever. End credits. And a very chilled music track. There is absolutely no eraser. The end of this Stop movie. Stop singing that. It keeps getting stuck in my head. <laughs> Hellraiser! Oh, I hate you, bro. Chick-a-dern, chick-a-dern. Yeah. Yeah. Just as when I, Hellraiser! That's when I realized that he had a belly button ring was when he wakes up next to the that hooker. That's when you realized? And I was like, oh my god, gross. Yeah, the whole film. It's just oh. his look as he screams. He's like, Ray! That was my face when I realized I had a belly button ring. That is it. That is Hellraiser Inferno. Yep. How you guys doing? All right. (laughs) So if you hadn't noticed, Justin, Katie, that was a very religious film. Yeah, Uh, I I would have never guessed my wildest imaginations. Scott Derrickson is a very religious man, it turns out. Mm. Um, As you could tell, I don't know if you noticed, but when I was reading out some of his other films... Nearly all of them had something to do with religion. And nearly all of them were horror films as well, which is, well, weird. But He's like, a from evil, man. The Devil's Not, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, lots of religious movies, or horror movies. Doctor Strange. Sure. 
Mm. Um, I mean, there's different religion in there. He has a little quote spiritual that I've say. left from him. Just say his final notes on this to do with it from a religious point of view. Because I've said the first few times I watched it, obviously I could tell it was religious. I didn't know just how religious it was for him. And once I started reading interviews with him and saw his intentions with the movie, it became much clearer as to why the film is the way it is and how scenes played out mm. because of his religious uh, aspects. Quote, he said, the church loves truth in its prescriptive form. The truth that says, here's what's wrong and here's how you fix it. Here's the diagnosis and here's the cure. The truth of an artist, although far more often descriptive, is still truth. Church people are uncomfortable with too much descriptive truth. Inferno was, in some ways, a personal rebellion against all of this. I wanted to make a movie about sin and damnation that ended with sin and damnation. Some Christians who've seen the film like to quote Philippines... Philippians? Philippians. Uh, 4-8 to me. Ah, the Philippines. Which is... (laughs) Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. And I have to stop them and say, wait a minute, what was that first thing you said? Whatsoever things are true. Things that are true are not necessarily lovely, and perhaps truth is named first for a reason. So it does clarify for me a lot to do with, yeah, this was definitely a gender base for him. This Mm -hmm. was him kind of attacking, not his faith, obviously, but some people that he feels interpret a faith, not in the way that he interprets his faith. Which I think is admirable because you constantly have these religious factors that are, you know, it's, you confess, you are redeemed, you become a better person, you are saved. You know, there's this, and that's the hypocrisy of Catholicism or Christianity is this, you know, this idea of you can be a shitty person as long as you say out loud that you're sorry. I'm sorry. And then you'll still get heaven. Oh, I get I the cold. And uh, he just arguably, unfortunately for him, chose a venue to do that in right. that the core audience for is not interested in that exactly. discussion. Like, yeah. and, and the creator is not interested in that discussion. And for everything, I think it's easy with these horror film franchises to always go back to the original creator and go, well, like, look at them like they're the king of this land and you have to respect all of their opinions. Right. I think Scott Derrickson came across arrogant in those opening quotes that I was talking about. But I do agree with him. Clive Barker's only made one decent film in his entire career. He did not turn out to be the future of horror. By this point, he had hung up his hat as a director. Uh, his books were not doing great at this point either in 2000. And he... I think it's easy to shit on somebody, though, when they're not doing well or they're not doing the original thing that they set out to do. I think you still have to show respect no, for the yeah. ideals that were set. I agree. I'm just saying, like, I definitely felt it's time for new type of hellraiser movie i was i'm open to reboots of these stuff you know like letting different people approach it in different ways Yeah, but even clive barker Um, said he tried to get involved with this and it wasn't necessarily the writers but the you know people production team yeah at dimension didn't want him in there clive barker involved with this stuff anymore like i I, like i do now maybe arguably we'll get to it later on but he was literally like it doesn't matter if he doesn't like it you know and it's that these are conflicting arguments you can't be like oh, yes, I respect it. I want to take it in a new direction. I don't care if you don't like it. Yep. Without being disrespectful to the fact that it's like, yeah, but if I hadn't written that first book or I hadn't no, done no, no, that no, first film, you wouldn't No, but have what this. I'm saying is like his approach with it and his character with it is one thing. Like, I'm not saying, I don't like how Derrickson talked about it and how no. he was with Clyde Barker. But what I'm saying is his approach then with the film, I think is exactly for better or worse, whether we're about to say we all hated it, we all loved it, whatever. I think I've been, I wanted what Derrickson was doing, which is a whole new approach. Like, disregarding whatever Clive Barker would feel about it, I don't care. It needed some new blood. 
mm-hmm. in this series. He needed something different to happen. But you didn't like New Blood? Blood. Bloodline. Blood, 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 blood. <laughs> no, but I love the intention of the bloodline. It was the execution, which was yeah. terrible. Yeah. And I just wanted new ideas. I didn't want to go back to one or two or three. Like I wanted, yeah. like I liked, I, I wanted yeah, I strange things and I wanted I'm something different. People doing something different. But was this the one that I wanted? Mm. Was it, Justin? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We'll find out in a couple of seconds. We'll find out right minutes. now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Justin, I want to know how, you know how do you feel about this film and where do you want this film to go next? Yeah, uh, I mean, there was some cool moments. I had, like, the psychological, like, mental breakdown kind of aspect of it. Um, a lot of metaphors, some of them too literal. Like, just stab me in the back. Don't let me throw my daggers at you. <laughs> There's a lot of cool effects in this. Definitely did not like the lead actor character at all. Yeah, it was all right. But overall, you could say it was... Oh. Now it's not going to work. <laughs> You've accidentally triggered it so many times. This whole time. It's gonna be... To be what? Disappointed! <laughs> Just like Kevin Sorbo. Disappointed! <laughs> uh, so this wasn't what you are hoping for, but... Yeah, not quite. And what, so whereabouts is it standing for you? Obviously, again, we're gonna, like, in our wrap-up, rejig stuff, but roughly what kind of score? Whereabouts is this for you in um, the right now? It would be... A four. A four. You get a few of four, honey. Like, four point three. Which one's been your least favorite? So four point three. <laughs> which one's been your least favorite so far out of these first five? I can't remember. <laughs> you need reflection. Are you keeping time. track of your scores? I, what was I supposed oh, to? Jeez, Justin. Oh, you have to go back and listen <laughs> to I mean, the podcast. Just, all I gotta do is just look at the posters. I know I've like rated some five. I haven't gone higher than the seven. No, you have not. Seven was the first, first one. one. Seven, mm-hmm. then it's been dropping to five to four. And then it was like, yeah, five and four. So this one's the lowest. So this one's the fourth. The other one was a 4.5. This is your least favorite then. Your least favorite. Your least favorite. Yeah, okay. least favorite. And what do you want with the Hellraiser Part 6? Um, still something different, but, you know, I'm, I don't want it like modern. Any, I just want it like different place, different setting. Space was cool. That was like really out there. The Victorian era was really dope. It's something that's, you know, I want to enjoy the characters more okay i don't want to be like gosh i hate these people <laughs> you, you want to like your lead character what's wrong with you you know i just don't want to be disappointed <laughs> we are taking that away yeah. from <laughs> toy is being broken <laughs> yeah um, uh do you want to see uh, anybody return from this or previous installments or do you want all new people i just want good old chompy do you want Chumpy on Chatterer back? Ch- like yeah. full body Chatterer with legs. Yeah. Alright. I mean, it's I would like the request. Cinnabites. I would like the Cinnabites to make an appearance, but, you know, not not be like the beginning ones. I want them different, but I don't want them to be super like look like the half Chomper or okay. like cool. What one was that? I don't remember which one it was. The one where everything was exploding. I don't want them to that look part like part three. Yeah, I don't want them to look like part you three. You don't want CD Cenobite and no. camera eyeball Cenobite no. and bartender Cenobite? No. no, no, That's where we've been. Uh, Katie Watson, how do you feel about Inferno and where uh, do you want us to go next? I will say that while talking about it, I like it a little bit more. However, I agree with kind of what you said there at the very end, which is in theory... If you wrote this down, I would say I'd be like, yeah, I'm all about that. I want that. But in reality of how this came out, 
I I was underwhelmed. Um, oh, disappointed. I I was not gonna say that word. Disappointed. <laughs> Don't start him up again. Sorry. You started the loop. <laughs> I just I think they just hit the points they were trying to make too hard, and it just came off feeling really cheesy in some places when I was supposed to be feeling something. Um, I just kept thinking that if Lifetime channel had a horror section Holy like crap. this would be on it yeah because it just felt so overwritten and so overacted and just there were like i loved the the lynchian parts like the things that kind of delved into psychosis and again on paper this seems like a great premise for where to take this franchise and i agree that it needed to be taken somewhere fresh and to kind of delve into new arenas but it just wasn't it they didn't pull it off in my opinion and it it was my least enjoyable ride on this franchise so far like cuz the other ones yeah they were yeah we had like cd head changer cenobite but at least those people were like having fun and i was intrigued and involved and like i was laughing or whatever Very and in this one i was literally just like couldn't wait until it was over like we had to pause it at one point and i was like there's a 40 minutes left in this like i don't i really don't know if i'm gonna make it and not because i'm like oh it's so gory or oh it's so over the top it's like it's just boring just so it disappointing <laughs> gonna throw something at you i just the lead did not do anything for me i just like it and i agree that if even if they had just switched the whatever psychoanalyst guy with the lead Oh, I would have enjoyed it like 10 times more. He just, he really overacted it. I did not like his face. Even without having redeeming qualities, I just think another actor could have done this better. So yeah, I just, this was not for me. I liked elements of it that redeemed it and brought it up to a three, but that Ooh. was it. It's your least favorite. It was my least favorite. James Remar. Remer. Remer. Talk. Yeah. I thought he was great and his delivery was wonderful. I liked the cowboy engineer guy who we thought was the engineer. His delivery was great, but it was literally just that lead character. Yeah. Where, um, where do you want to go next? And how can they redeem themselves? <sighs> uh, Bear in mind, the next movie is I called. know it's not going to be, though. Like, no matter what, I'm like, oh, I just want it to go back to the Doesn't classic. Doesn't matter where you think it's going to go. Just where do you want it to go? I just want them to... To give credit to the classic of it. it. It's such a good kernel of a story. And I think they really were atrocious to Pinhead in this one. And I just, I wanted yeah. to kind of move back into the realm of you open this box, bad things happen to you. Like these scary creatures come out and, you know, rip you apart. And that's it. Like, I just like the classic story. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah. You get tore up. I, you know, like, it's very hard to, when you see a film when you're younger, and again, I wasn't that, I mean, I was 20, but it still was a long time ago for me. It's hard to then separate stuff. I remember watching this and I really, really liked it when I first saw it. Just, I think partly because I was just kind of amazed. Like, it felt like it'd been a long time between Bloodline and this, but it had mm -hmm. only been four years. But at that point in your life, every year takes quite a while. Now they whip by. Um, and I remember, oh my God, there's a new Hellraiser movie coming out. It's going straight to DVD. Didn't know much about it. Uh, internet was just, you know, so taken off. So it wasn't much able to read much about it and bought it, watched it and was just like, oh, wow, this is like 
an adult film, you know, like coming off the back of Bloodline, which was a mess. And, you know, like now I can appreciate its intentions a lot more. Um, but it was, again, I, it had the ugliness of horror films that I always just like stayed away from horror films because of. And even with three, like it's this stupid action movie with ugliness in it as well. Two has all the, you know, these like stupid hell stuff with ugliness and Shannard Cenobite and the penis fingers and all this stuff. Mm. So like when I come to this one, I'm like, oh, this is more sophisticated or at least trying to be, you know. And in 2000, obviously visually it looked better in 2000 than it does now. 18 years, 17, whatever years later. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being really surprised and I really liked it. And this is the one that I've seen the most out of all of them because of that, because it was easy to watch. Like it didn't have bits. So I was like, oh, it's just horrible. I don't want to watch that bit. It also didn't have anything that, you know, really affected me in the same way as bits from the first one did. Mm-hmm. Um, and even some elements from the third one. Like I used to quote the third one a lot just because it has great lines of dialogue in there, um, even though the film's trashy. So coming back to it now, it's impossible for me to remove my heritage with this movie. It really is. I was trying to watch it subjectively. I can tell it doesn't look as great now. I can tell the direction isn't great. I've always hated the lead character and it goes against everything. Like every film that has a bad lead character, I just can't get on board with it. For some reason, this one I always have. I can't, again, like if it had been Frank or if it had been a different actor, it's so weird for me because they removed the ugliness from everything else in this film. The Cenobites aren't that ugly, really. They're more stylish. And the horror elements, there's not much gore in here at all because he doesn't like doing gore because of his religious lifestyle. But then the lead character has all the ugliness in a completely different way. But it's like, he is like, he walked off of Hellraiser 3 or something. You know, he is like, he's worse than that boyfriend in Hellraiser 3 who was a horrible you know, sleazy guy sacrificing people to the pillar of souls. Oh, you know? yeah. Like he's, he's, At least that guy was funny. But this guy is following in those tracks of Frank, that guy, and this guy is just waiting for him to say, come to daddy to his daughter at some point, you know? Mm-hmm. Come to daddy. And thankfully he never did. But that's what I mean. It's like, I really respect, I'm reading up about it. I respect what it's trying to talk about. I respect it doing something new. And I'm open to that. I'm like most Hellraiser fans because we have the original ones, you know? And I really like the Scott as a director here. I do. I like, I like, I think he builds a great mood and he does a good straight to DVD cheap Lynch kind of knockoff that obviously doesn't have the finesse of Lynch, but I like those intentions and some of it does really work for me. And I don't even hate Pinhead more as an angel than as how he's meant to be because of the context we have in terms of what we haven't seen him in this role. Maybe he does do some shepherding in hell. This is just like busy work for him, you know? Mm But I also, I'll tell you the two main reasons I like this movie. One is, I interpret, two, one reason is one that I've always interpreted as and the other something new. So the new one for me is I've read now that first chapter of the book and there's none of the perversion here that's in that first chapter of the book. So that is removed. This is a sanitized, like you say, like a lifetime version of that almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, as someone who's never really liked ugly stuff, I was fine with that. But this to me plays like two pages of the book for an hour and 40 minutes. Like this to me is like you open a box and what we, what I was frustrated with in that first film is that they skip over all of those weird, surreal, mind-bending experiences he goes through. This to me is like a version of that, but without all of the perverse sex. Now, admittedly, all Clive Barker wants is all the perverse sex pretty much. But for me, it's like, I, I would almost love this film to exist and then a twist at the end is that it, it is Frank. And those, that was just like the two seconds that he opened the box for 
before he even meets Pinhead or something like that. Yeah, you know? see. It's just going through. Like, like, whenever you talk about it, it makes me like it more, but I'm like, that's not how I felt about it when I was watching it. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> but that's how I see it. I see it as, like, this could be, like, a sliver of time in his brain, you know? Like, I, sure. I like in, in, uh, seeing it like that. The way that I've always liked this movie for 18 years, and I still do, is because this, for me, is a really, really good Silent Hill movie. That's what this is. Um, it's and Hellraiser and Jacob's Ladder were the two films that completely influenced Silent Hill, as they've said. This is very Jacob's Ladder, this film. And it feels to me like at a time in 2002, I think we only had one Silent Hill film at that point, and I mm. really wanted more because I love Silent Hill. This feels like a Silent Hill movie. The fallen snow, the way the Cenobites look, the going into your head and not knowing what's a dream or what isn't. So I guess what I'm trying to say is as a Hellraiser fan, this isn't a film that people will enjoy. Um, I can't imagine, unless you're very liberal with what you're happy to get from the franchise. Mm-hmm. As a Silent Hill fan, I think this is a really, really good film. Yeah, really Silent do. Hill, that would make more sense. Again, that lead character, like, though, like, holy shit. Like, if they could just have, yeah, even recast. No, not even, take out the VO, please. Oh, my God. You don't yeah. even need it. Just press stop stop on that track in your you edit. Stop it. Yeah. And Because you don't need it. We know everything you're saying. The, the director's good enough to tell the story without the VR. Yeah. So take that out, and it's immediately better. Recast it, and it's, like you say, probably 10 times better. Do new dialogue for it, and it's even better. I have no problem with the scenes. I have no problem with the storyline. It's just, and the direction, it's just these fucking acting. And yeah, it's bad casting. Would you say the acting was disappointing? <laughs> I can't believe uh, it. No more sugar for Justin. <laughs> So yeah, it's a frustrating one for me. It's one that's very hard for me to judge. The things that I like more in the first film, I definitely like a lot more than I do this film. But this is one of my favorites. Uh, It's always been one of my favorites, and it still is, and I don't really know why. But there you go. Do you think that if it was like Groundhog Day, and if he just did it all right one time, then he would be redeemed? No. Do you think if he... (laughs) I would love to see it try it, like the trial at that part. (laughs) Yeah, do do you think if he gets that call and then goes there, does what I said he should do, it would play out differently. It's like, okay, now I don't really have to care as much. I know people are going to die, but I don't have to worry about this murder anymore. Just don't pick up the phone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's go, nope. Let it ring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bye. That would actually go work to with Dinah. Yeah. Just ignore it for the whole day. What's your score then? Well, I don't Love know. I mean, it's so going to be higher. It might be a six, something like that. Uh, right. Six or seven. Yeah, it's, it's, clo- it's definitely on par for me with the first one, but for very different reasons. Like the stuff I hate about the first one, I hate more than this, but the stuff I love about the first one, I love. Clive Barker, if you're listening, I'm with you. Clive, <laughs> you boy. Oh, he hates his own so much. What do I want next? Well, it's impossible for me to say yeah. because well, I know too much. What number score did you seven. give this? I brought That's yeah, what I was just saying. Seven or, eight. Or, seven. Mm. or six or seven. Could you use seven or eight is completely different. Not an eight. Yeah. I rescinded Definitely what I not. said. So you're saying you gave this a nine or a ten? I gave it an eleven out of ten. Oh, uh, Spinal Tap this. They would be out for two more years. The next film, next Friday, we're going to be dealing with is called Hellraiser Hellseeker because you need two hells in two words Fuck. in your titles. You know what? He never brought the slide of hand back in. Get me the gun. I was waiting for like at the very end for him to to have done something where he like pulled. Yeah, because it's like what what was what was the magic? Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. The magic was why. It was like he's always an asshole. Like Chekhov's gun, but never came back. Nope. 
didn't use it wasn't he didn't doctor strange it although no. do you remember at the end of doctor strange to defeat the villain he uses uh, looping history yeah interesting scott derrickson interesting how is a hell seeker we'll be dealing with next friday came out in 2002 if you want to help support us, please do head on out to over to weirdgeeks.com, weirdgeeks.com. That's where you can patch out to our iTunes. You can listen to our old retrospectives, which is Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and the Charles Space <laughs> Series, as well as Danny Boyle stuff. We have uh, every couple of weeks, we put up another podcast where we just talk about topical things, video games and movies. Uh, that features everybody pretty much from all the different podcasts guesting at different times. Also, if you're on weirdgeeks.com, you can email us or just email us directly at mail at wearegeeks.com mail at wearegeeks.com while you're there anyone ever emailed you on that uh yeah a few people really peanuts nice email sometimes hey peanut hey peanut a few people a few people if you're on (laughs) wearegeeks.com you can also go to all of our official social medias and please 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 we do all this for free it costs us money it takes a lot of time and effort these guys look like they're going to kill me by the end of this series so do go on iTunes and rate us and subscribe. It's literally the only th- way that you can support us right now and help us. And it's free and it takes about 30 seconds. So three, zero. I was good up to this one. It really helped. Yeah. Good moxie. <laughs> yeah. What else? If you're on weirdgeeks.com, you can subscribe to our Twitch channel. We've got some awesome stuff coming out very, very soon, probably in the next month, I think. So future-proof yourself by doing that. And on weirdgeeks.com, why not click on that little black emblem that says Weird Tessellate? That why will not? take you through to weirdtessellate.com. They are publishers. They're a production company run out of London, LA, and Tokyo, making feature films, music, and stuff like that. And we just made a first feature film that I wrote and directed called Starfish. Mm-hmm. And we'll have news about that soon. We've got other feature films coming as well. So exciting. And what else? Social medias, ourselves. You can talk to me and follow me and throw abuse at me for liking Inferno. Mr. Al White on everything. Mr. Al White, including the Xbox. Is it Mr. Al White on everything or just Mr. <laughs> Al White on everything? That is what you definitely order at a restaurant. Katie Watson. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at my dearest Watson, where I put food on my dog's face and take pictures of it. Oh, the bacon on her face was incredible. So Pretty great. Incredible. I was there for that moment and I was just couldn't stop laughing. I was just like, poor dog. Her eyes are covered what? in bacon. Poor dog. Everyone uh, keeps saying, yeah. poor dog. I'm like, be... she gets to eat it. Yeah. Why would it <laughs> be poor? I don't take it away from her. Because once it goes off of her eyes, you'll see how crazy her eyes oh, are. Yeah. She's can we, can we, <laughs> Justin, we're about to order some lunch because we need some food. Can we, yeah. can you order something we could put on your eyes and she can do a photo? <laughs> you can just put bacon on my eyes. I Fuck have it. some bacon. Fuck, uh. do it. <laughs> That's what we're doing me right now. Me and Izzy will have bacon on our eyes. <laughs> That's the real reason to follow us on social media. Yeah. You can uh, follow me. I-T-S-R-A-D-L-E-Y. It's Radley. Twitch, Instagram, Steam. Maybe not on Steam. Uh, PS4, Xbox. Bebo. Bebo. Pigeon. Pigeon. AOL. AOL. Tinder. Tinder. Grinder. <laughs> yep. Raya. Oh my god, uh, stop. You're, Ryan. you're making me feel uh, old. No, I don't fucking talk about Raya. I don't know what Raya is. I, hate Raya. I just saw it online. Raya is like you have to have um, a certain amount of social adult followers. Friend finders oh. for those looking for friends who are adults. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we're going with this. And we're out. Geeks. Geeks. <laughs>